Okay, hello again, everybody. Welcome back. What's up, chat? Welcome back. Hey. Yeah, go. another epic uh, three hours of movie discussion <laughs> lists, stuff like that. Give or take. Um, yeah, so we're at part four now. Mm -hmm. Um. So you know, we're we're getting there. We're we're getting through this list. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. Pretty a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun discussions and we, yeah. And uh, coming soon, timestamps, everybody. Whoa! Yeah. So that you know, uh, in the future, when they unearth this as like an artifact of like what the hell were people doing in 2020 when you know they couldn't do anything else, they couldn't talk about the millions of movies that are going to come out next year. Uh, we were talking about old shit. So we're going to put timestamps on some of the older videos uh, and you can kind of skip through the conversation because they're long form kind of loosey goosey convos anyways. So that should be helpful. So we're going to do that. And then uh, at the end of this thing, I will prepare like a nice little factoid. Like I'll crunch the numbers and I'll, I'll try to give you some trivia on our, both of our lists. It should be fun. Yeah, that'll be really good. Um, you know, see who are the most, who are the most uh, represented? Yeah, like wh what kind of like B tier actor that's like in the background of some of the scenes is like shows up more than other actors in your in your list, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, as we said every time, like this is just a list based on how we feel right now <clears throat> in uh, 2020. Um, right. You know, this isn't like brought down from God, from the cat tablets, from right. heaven. As this it's certainly not my list. My list is, is, is just a bunch of bullshit that I like, honestly, which is how yeah. everybody's list should be. In my yeah, opinion. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're just we're just here to talk about movies and have a good time with it. Yeah, uh, and maybe you know, and discover things. I'm I'm always discovering stuff off of his list. He's discovering stuff off of my list. It's fun times. Yeah, totally. So yeah, don't take this too seriously, but just you know, we're here to discuss and have fun. But we made it to the '70s, not yeah. the 1970s, but the '70s. Yeah. So yeah, why don't you start off today? With your oh, number sure. 70. Hell yeah, we'll do that. So yeah, we made it to number 70 of 100, right? Mm -hmm. My number 70, and this guy, this, oh my God, every week. I feel like if you, you check the tapes, every single week we talk about Francis Ford Coppola. Here he is again. Number 70, Rumblefish. Uh, yeah. I love this movie. I adore this movie. It's a relatively recent addition. Like, it's not something that if you would have asked me to make this list two years ago, I would have put on here. Mm -hmm. But the more that I see it, because I went through like a another Coppola phase recently. We talked about that. Where uh, I did, like I, I went through from like as far back in the beginning as I was willing to go and and go through all of his movies and Rumblefish is just sticks out to me as like it's just the coolest movie he's ever made and what I mean by that is not like because you know we can't there's the unfuckwithables and the untouchable mm. Godfathers and Apocalypse Nows and and stuff like that Rumblefish is just the coolest fucking movie it came out in 1983 or four 1983. And it was made back to back with The Outsiders. And so the way this works is The Outsiders was the, I, you know, the paycheck. I'm not really into this movie, but he did it kind of like, oh, I did it because some kids in Fresno wrote me a letter, yada, yada, S.E. Hinton. We, you know, hit it off. And so I made The Outsiders. Also happened to launch every single one of those actors' careers just because it's just like a Coppola thing, I guess, you know? <laughs> you just touch that's, a thing, you're like, meh, and then everybody else, you know, Tom Cruise is in your fucking movie, right? Yeah, that's his skill. That's his real skill is, like, the casting is yes. so on point. Unbelievable. Those people just blow up, and he basically never misses with casting. Usually, no. Yeah, the casting is, is superb. But uh, 
basically while he was doing that, uh, he was doing the thing where like, so you, when you go through filmographies of big time directors, he's doing the thing where like, while I was working on the thing that you know about, what I was really thinking about is the next movie that you probably haven't heard about. So Rumblefish is that movie. And uh, basically they took, so they, they were wrapping production for the outsiders. He talked to the DP. He talked to some of the producers, the casting director, and they were like, I want to make another one. Uh, it's another S.E. Hinton book. And they were like, oh, S.E. Hinton's hot. I mean, clearly we're just making the outsiders. So whatever. And then he workshopped the script with Hinton and they figured it out. And literally, you know, they just added essentially a couple weeks to the end of the schedule, the production schedule for the outsiders to make this movie, but they could not be any more different movies. The way that I would describe this movie, the way he describes this movie is it's an art film for teenagers. So what this literally is, is Coppola going, I really like Fellini and I really like some of these old ass, you know, some of these other movies. I like uh, German expressionism. I like Caligari. I like some of these things and I'm just going to make, I'm I'm going to take this book that is essentially just about teenage gangs again because that's just like an Essie Hinton thing but it's uh, it's 100% like old kind of filming techniques they were using old and new I mean they were using like uh what is it Quatsi. that movie came out through um Oh yeah uh-huh. it came out through Zoetrope so he was like I like time time lapse photography I'm going to do that so he was like putting all these things together to basically make the movie is basically like a moving painting is how I describe it. It's a black and white film. Uh, it's got the cat again. The cast is just unfuck withable. It is uh, Matt Dillon from the outsiders. He just pulled him over. They pulled Diane Lane over, uh, except this time Diane Lane was 18. So she, they were able to do R rated stuff. Uh, I'm not talking about like nudity or whatever, but just like R rated <laughs> situations, dialogues, drinking, things like that. Um, Nicholas Cage, he pulled him into this is the first time they worked together. Uh, like the opening scene of this movie is like Lawrence Fishburne walks into a bar and then like fucking Matt Dillon, Nicholas Cage, uh, uh, Sean Penn's brother. What's his name? Chris Penn is in there. They're all just hanging out saying fuck, 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 fuck. And like shooting pool and stuff and smoking, cig- you know, cigarettes and like this. It's smoky. So like that's just kind of the vibe that they went for for this movie. And I love it so much. And then there's like this superhero entrance of um, Matt Dillon's brother, who is Mickey Rourke and it's eighties Mickey Rourke, which is, you know, just a gorgeous human being. And uh, he comes in and he's like, he's the tough one. He's the really quiet one. He's the reserved one. Uh." So (laughs) it's not like this movie is going to like change people's lives or anything. It's, it is a a, a sum of its parts, but uh, it's just, it's so, so, so cool. It's like the artiest film he's ever made up until like uh, Tetro, I think is one of his more recent movies. Um, it's just Coppola trying to make an artsy film, but he can't really help himself. So he ends up making like a kind of modern noir classic for teenagers. And uh, what I like about it is that it does go all the way with the R rating. Like it is for teenagers, but not like the way that you read the books that are for teenagers where like they're really young adult and you can find them in your middle school library uh, and they'll have like a couple bad words in there. This is just straight up like you get you get the booze, you get the tits, you get the fights, you get everything. So uh, I really, really I talked a lot about Rumblefish, but I really, really think like visually it is one of the coolest fucking movies I've ever seen. Cool. Yeah, I I, I really like um you know, I haven't explored like a lot of his his stuff. That's not, I guess, the big for me the big five films. Sure. The, the fifth one being um, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm. Um, so I kind of need to do that. But I really liked when he like kind of went off the beaten path and like tried to do stuff that was more artistic. And because like you know he's a 
brilliant, brilliant mind of film. Yeah, and, well, that's that's know. exactly it. He just he thinks in. Uh, there's a couple directors that do this. They think in film terms, like they think in film language. They're not like not necessarily like story stuff. Yes, yes, but they're always like this is a movie, <laughs> and then they're mm -hmm. able to do that. Yeah, yeah, and like how to how to like really push the medium visually mm -hmm. to do visual storytelling. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's some, he does the thing in this movie where, um, of course, Spielberg would become very, very popular for it, but uh, the titular rumble fish are like blue and red fish. And there's a really cool scene where they use a, like, I, a really, really, like, a lot of trickery at the time to make the, um, the fish, the, the fish are in color, everything else is in black and white, and you see them moving around and stuff, like, while the brothers are looking at the fish, and it's like this whole, you know, really kind of high school level like literary thing is happening with the fish but like it's just so fun that he just decided to do this on a whim and uh if you haven't seen rumble fish i think you'll you'll be blown away the first 20 minutes of this movie will be like where has this been all my life like it's just the <laughs> yeah. coolest fucking thing you've ever seen yeah 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 very cool very yeah. cool all right yeah so rumble fish mm -hmm. number, number 70 all right so my number 70 is blade runner 2049 Oh, okay. sequel, we're bringing out the, the big guns. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this this film uh, is very interesting because like if you had told me, if you told me like five years ago, yeah, there's going to be a sequel to Blade Runner. I'd be like, you know, <laughs> I'd have been like, I don't you know, know what you're talking about. I've always been like, where is the sequel to Blade Runner? Where is it? Because <laughs> I, I the closest thing that's ever happened to another thing within this universe is this movie called Soldier. It's like, a, hmm. I forget. I forget who the director was. He's the guy who does all the video game movies with uh, his wife. Uh, no, Paul Anderson? I believe so. Sorry, yeah. not I, that Paul Anderson, but yeah. The the bad one. Well, not the bad. The one who does the, you know, does the commercial yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. video game movies. Uh, and that one was like Kurt Russell is like a, yeah. a soldier. Mm -hmm. And like there's all these weird references where it's like, oh, yeah, he, he fought he fought in this battle. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, he fought in this battle that's referenced in Blade Runner and it's in the same universe, but, you know, and that movie is, it's okay. Um, it's a Paul you know, Anderson movie from the 90s, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but Blade Runner is like the pinnacle. Like there, there there's very few other sci-fi movies that really are on that level. And so making a sequel, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot to live up to. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And this, this film pretty much gets as close to living up to it as, you know, you could ever mm -hmm. hope to imagine. Mm -hmm. um it's so beautiful it's so well directed it's so the cinematography is incredible the what they do with the special effects and the visual effects is so seamless and, and amazing and it all feels within the same universe it feels like they're building up more of it it's just an incredible film and you know again this is denis villeneuve who's one of the great directors of you know the last 15 years Definitely. He's he's absolutely and see it, he works again with Roger Deakins here. They did prisoners together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In this film, the cinematography is like it, it, it is it is some of the best shit you'll ever see. They knew I feel like they knew I mean obviously they knew. They knew what they had on their hands with Blade Runner. Like they knew because when you think like Blade Runner is just one of those things where like the, the visual iconography is immediate, like it's instant in your head. You instantly see, you know, the neon lights and the, you know, people with umbrellas and shit. Like you instantly the see pyramids. Like the pyramids, the, yeah. the, the big video screens, mm -hmm. like, you, you know, the kind of uh, industrial smoke floating up and stuff. So like, obviously they knew that what they had. So like, I feel like choosing Roger Deakins and just saying, you know, let's, let's art this movie up. And yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just like, there's so many scenes that are just insane. Like when they go to, um, and by the way, so I think another thing that needs to be talked about is like how Ryan Gosling is just like sort of used himself as a vehicle to create amazing art. Like he finds these directors and he he's never gonna do a film that's just like, really for whatever it's like there's always got to be a great director or something behind it like you know he did a couple films with nicholas winding refin that are both very interesting drive and Mm -hmm. um only god God? forgives only god forgives (laughs) yeah (laughs) um he's done stuff with damon chazelle like this film though is is he he's incredible in it and i mean i can i say something controversial (laughs) yeah it's the it's the only movie i like that he's in yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, really, sorry, really like the him only movie where I That's... like him in it. I don't like him as an actor. I think he is one of my least favorite actors, but I know that's like a controversial thing to say. But like, yeah, even still, I think the, the fact that he because to me, he's always kind of robotic. The fact that, you know, he fits. <laughs> he is a little robotic. I just I just love that. There's so many films where it's like this film, like this film just would not happen without him. Yeah, correct. It's just, there's just so many films where, and so yeah. on that level, I just appreciate him mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. You um, have to, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. So it's just like, dude, thank you for <laughs> using the the yeah. level of celebrity and power you have and your status. I don't understand to, why he's so popular, but I'm I glad think, he think, is. I think it's really like this. a lot of a lot of it has to do with. Uh, I mean, first off, he was been he's been a thing for a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah like basically his entire life. Like he's been on Nickelodeon and Disney and all this other stuff. Yeah. 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 And then he did that romantic comedy. That was really, really big. But that uh, was the Nicholas Sparks. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. The notebook. It's crazy yeah, to me notebook. that he has the, the longevity that he has. It's, it's remarkable. It's like, it's cause you know, uh, you, you read articles about like, Oh, the movie stars dead. Nobody really gives a shit. Like we have a few. And I There's think Ryan few. Gosling is, is definitely one of them. He's definitely one of them. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also because of the way that he takes his career. Like right. he he's managed his career very very well. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, well. yeah. Because yeah. again, making films like this, um, other stuff like you know he did like First Man and um, La La Land, you know all, he's always able to keep his, mm-hmm. and then he's gonna do with the fucking uh, <laughs> with what's it called? They're gonna do some massive movie with Netflix, some two hundred million dollar movie. Yeah, is that like a space one? I no, from what I understand, no, it sounds like remember. it's sort of it's sort of in the vein of. Uh, like an espionage kind of thing, espionage thriller. Oh, oh sick! I love those. Movies. Yeah, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the Russo cool. brothers, so it's going to be some kind of massive thing. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, but like, so he's always able to keep himself, you know, in a high high regard, so that he can like do this kind of arty, artsy films. Yeah. Uh, and this, yeah, this is just like I think he's really great in it, and like the, the act, there's so many good actors in this film, right? Yeah. We get Dave Bautista for like. 10 minutes, but he's incredible. Dude, he is so like, you know, when like you can tell that someone is just really uh, humbled and honored to be in a thing. And this is that movie. I think I feel like everybody in this movie is just like, I I'm not going to fuck this up. Like, I know what I'm in and I I appreciate the hell out of that. Yeah, I feel like this is like the coming up party for Anna Darmus. Like, this is like her moment. Really? Like, there's a lot of stuff she's good in. And there's no knock knock, but it'll do. Yeah. Later on, she's she's like in uh, what was that? Uh, Knives out. Knives out. Yeah, knives out, which is really like her her movie. But this yeah. is like the like whoa, who is this person? She's amazing. Um, Robin Wright is in it. She's great. Mm-hmm. Jared Leto's interesting, kind of interesting character. 
Um, yeah, not my, probably not my favorite part of the movie, but the same. he's in it. Um, Edward James almost is back in the movie. Yes, I shit great. myself, dude. When yeah. I was in theaters, I was I was giddy like a little girl because I fucking love Eddie James almost. I watch Miami yeah. Vice all the fucking time. <laughs> he's so great. Yeah, um, Mackenzie Davis is great in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, and so then there's then someone I'd never seen before, Sylvia Hoax. Mm-hmm. Or however you say, it. I'm I'm not sure if she's like Dutch. I don't know how to mm-hmm. pronounce some names, but she is like unbelievable yeah. as love in this movie. Yeah. The basically um, K's, I guess you can see them as two sides of a different coin, pretty much. Right, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So there's just so much that I love about this movie, and like you know, the more I watched it, the more I just like, I just loved, I just absolutely love this movie and i think it's an incredible achievement in everything mm-hmm. the visual effects the cinematography the acting the score the score is like insane yeah like the fact yeah. that hans zimmer was able to like kind of fuse some new stuff with what 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 uh the original did vangelis yeah vangelis type stuff yeah yeah it's it's absolutely incredible um and you know just like that that sequence in las vegas where they go there and it's like totally orange mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which and, you know art became life in yeah, 2020 the fact that that actually happened in the bay area where we woke yeah. up one day and looked outside and it dead on looked like blade runner 2049 it looked but, like that but scene. again that's that's what i like again i just i love that they all of the the visual kind of stuff that they went for is like because again the original blade runner like there's photographers in hong kong that like will take a picture and be like look it's not edited it looks like blade runner and like it's they put these images in the pop culture's brain basically uh, i feel like the two blade, blade blade runner movies because when the fires happened this year like people were just texting each other and like on twitter and stuff and they were like hey look it's that scene from blade runner and, like yeah. it's able to be relevant again because of how like iconic and smart some of the visual design is yeah it's super iconic and like again this movie had a lot to live up to yeah it had a lot and, listen for a lot of people it didn't i love this movie but i also know a lot of people who are like they're they don't like it and then they realized in retrospect that they don't even like the first movie that much. But, <laughs> right. then, they're, but then they're wrong. But, you know, regardless. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely seen a lot of people who are like, oh, this movie's whatever. And I just, okay, I buddy. I know. You, I you know. live your life. I'm, I'm cool with that. I, and, love, and, I love both movies. Like, same. you're going to see both movies on my list. I really, really, really love this movie. And I think what's nice about it is that it doesn't, you know, there are sometimes there's a sequel where you're like, oh, well, that just kind of shit on the first movie this doesn't do that at all it builds on what was there and it just it, it's it's incredible it's incredible yeah. what they were able to achieve with this with this with this film yeah i remember when it was announced because uh um i was really into i mean I'm, I'm always into like ridley scott is again like my my number one kind of like inspiration uh he was doing he was in the middle of his like alien kind of renaissance at uh, fox and I was thinking in the back of my head the whole time, I was like, Alien is cool, but he's putting a lot of fucking androids in these Alien movies. When are we going to get a Blade Runner sequel? And uh, then they announced that uh, Denis Villeneuve was doing Blade Runner 2. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I like his movies, but like, it's not Ridley. And then um, the, the, there was the, the second the movie started, I was like, never mind. I, I'm stupid. They're the professionals. Denis is the guy. <laughs> Well, Denis is like, a, he's on a different level. Like, then yeah. there's there's a lot of people they could have chosen where you don't get this movie. I think, well, after I saw Arrival, because that came out like the like the December before Blade Runner or whatever. Uh, after I saw Arrival, I was like, no, I'm good. Like, this is the guy. I'm. This is absolutely the guy. 
Yeah, he's the guy. I mean, yeah. he, and again, he, you know, Dune is going to come out at some point, and that's like it's cannot a, wait to see it's that. It's a great sadness that we can't watch that movie right now. Yeah, I would do. I, mean, I would do dirty things to see that. Movie. It basically was supposed to come out in like two weeks from when we we're recording I know. this. I know. I know. <laughs> And now it's in like uh, October or November of, of next year. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Who when knows? We'll see it. I who mean, knows? you know, it might be better off for the film because he said that uh, he got stuck in Canada when they were trying to edit. Oh, and so okay. he wasn't even, he was like behind schedule. I mean, he oh. was going to be able to finish it by now, but, you know, he was like, he got stuck in Canada when huh. COVID happened. And so then he couldn't a- actually edit the film on time. Um, yeah, I mean, COVID just destroyed everything. Everything we yeah. love, it just completely annihilated it. <laughs> Yeah, without a doubt. But uh, Blade Runner was two was great. I'm glad they did it. It's a it's a remarkable act of faith on Warner Brothers' part that they were able to put that again. Like, yes, you got Ryan Gosling on, and you got Jared Leto, and Robin Wright was big because House of Cards was a thing. And like, I understand how the pieces came together. Uh, but like to let it happen and to make yeah. like animated shorts and to let Luke Scott fucking direct things because Luke Scott's gonna direct the shorts. Damn it, you know. <laughs> By the uh, way, Harrison Ford, I forgot to mention that. He's back in this movie as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a, 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 a string of Harrison Ford renaissance projects. Uh, so, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and it's just it's just such a just beautiful movie. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know. It, it doesn't <laughs> – yeah. Even if you yeah. don't know Blade Runner, if you if you are down to just be kind of like in a zen place and just like think about stuff, this is one of those great movies to do it. <laughs> And I feel like even if you don't like the story, you don't like the other things. To me, the cinematography of this is definitively yeah. some of the greatest ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. is unquestionable. Like that shot of of um, of Kay walking, and it's a silhouette of him in the orange mm-hmm. like Vegas mist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that is one of the most iconic shots in the history of film. Yeah, already. Absolutely. Like you yeah. see that shot, you know the movie, mm-hmm. you know the feel. It just it just tells you everything about the world. Yeah. In that one shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's instantly also it, but the it's also instantly recognizable as a Blade Runner thing. Like it's not like you said, it's not its own. It doesn't do its own thing. It doesn't mess with it. It doesn't dump on it. It's just it it, it fits immediately into that world, and that's I think that's like the most the biggest accomplishment. Yeah, it's not like a Rain Johnson take, <laughs> you know, like where it's like I'm gonna subvert your expectations. <laughs> boy although boy. this film this film the narrative no, it kind of very... did though no the narrative i the, the people that don't like this movie like the, my film friends that i talked to that don't like this movie they don't like this movie because of the story they recognize the cinematography and the whatever they just think maybe the pacing's a little shitty but specifically the story they don't they 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 just yeah the story really takes and i remember the first time i saw it i was like wait what like like this is an interesting place to go and it with... does a thing that i hate in movies and i mean hate with a capital h where like when he goes to the library or whatever the 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 to the the yeah, archives so, and the they're archive. like oh yeah since the blackout and then we're just like what's the blackout we'll read it in the thing like the matrix did a lot of that uh and it's 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 shitty for i get why obviously but like it's i, I don't like that the movie assumes that the viewer has access to these things because in a hundred years you're not gonna fucking I mean, you might, but like you'd have to do a lot of research to figure out what you're supposed to watch ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, you got to dig up. I mean, this is something that happened. Speaking of really Scott, with uh, I believe it was Alien. Covenant. Yeah. Covenant. Oh yeah. Like there was like all this other material that significant. Makes... It, it's like scenes basically from the movie. Like there's so James Franco is in Alien Covenant allegedly. 
you, we see him in yeah. the movie for like three minutes, but there is like a 15 minute short directed by Luke Scott that he's in the entire time. And yeah. so like, obviously they had the production together, but it does peeve me when they don't put it all, like at least make a cut maybe where all the shit is in it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so again, they had, they had done a bunch of stuff uh, for Prometheus where they did all these, like, it was like, uh, what's his name? Who's playing a character who's playing Wayland, and they had him do well, a they TED did like talk. a TED talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I've they did seen a TED all talk. of that stuff. It's yeah, cool, they did all this but... stuff, and the stuff really worked. Like that TED talk thing went super viral, and people were like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is so cool. Uh, so they tried to do the back. same. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they tried to do the same thing, and it's like, well, that was cool because it's, it's a universe building thing, it's not story. So don't right. don't take the story away from me in the actual feature film. Exactly. Just give me yeah. supplemental things that makes the world feel more yeah. built. Well, but sometimes it's not supplemental. Like the blackout thing would have been really nice to know. And uh, again, the Matrix did this like is the number one culprit because like uh, the kid will come out and be like, Neo, thanks for rescuing me. And he's like, no problem, yeah. kid. And you're like, what the fuck? Where? When? I mean, <laughs> to be fair, I think the Animatrix was very well. Oh. I know I watched them because people were starving uh, for anything. I'm not dumping major. on it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like but, I'm saying like as a historical artifact, it makes the movie a little harder to enjoy fully, I think. Oh, 100%. But yeah. like they 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 fucked up so much on that fucking <laughs> the sequels like I mean there's a lot of good stuff, but Dude, then I tried. but but, I the, bought- but there's I, I tried. I try to keep up with that stuff. <laughs> I, I bought the official strategy guide for the Enter the Matrix video game because there was stuff yeah. at the in the like end at the uh, like appendix of the guide that was like written and it was like lore that was like only was in the lore, guide. Yeah. Yeah. And like everything was supervised by the Wachowskis and like yeah. everything was canon and the, then it got really fucking weird. Yeah. It, it's it's just like you gotta you get you gotta keep it in the the material we're consuming. Uh, Give yeah. us all the story. Yeah, and Blade Runner <laughs> Two doesn't doesn't do that like too much. It's just a pet peeve. It's like a side rant that we went on, but like, yeah, uh, it, it does annoy me when like a little bit of that corporate like creeps into the movie, but not a lot. Like the maybe two percent of this movie is that. The rest of it is like impeccable. Yeah, totally. And like you know, I feel, I definitely feel like the the narrative is not perfect, but it's like I don't care. I, mm. I don't I don't really mm. care because like it's so beautiful and like like. Mm-hmm you know, the way that they're telling the story is so good that it just, yeah. it works. It works. Mm-hmm. Like the things that matter more for me, for what I want to get out of this side of a sci-fi story are so good. Like there's very few to me sci-fi films that are like this, that really compare, that are just as good on this level. Like there's, there's very few. The people get confused and the people that get disappointed by Blade Runner, they hear about it and they see those pictures and they say, wow, that must be like the greatest movie of all time. Cause like, it looks so good. The people that get disappointed is because they expect it to be like an action sci-fi thing or like some kind of a plotty thing. And it's, it's literally just like a man in a room. It's like a neo-noir thing. So that's the people that get disappointed about that. Cause they don't understand. It's like the private eye and the fucking the, all of these the troubles that he has on his mind. And he just like works through them. They, they don't like that. So, Cause they expect it to be more like solving the uh, more of a procedural, I guess. I don't really know. Um, I think a lot of people, especially like the first one, they, they expect it to be freaking star Wars or something. Well, yeah, which well, is the first one at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. 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 And even with this one, I think people, People expected it to be, you know, like a like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot or some shit like that. Or yeah, like, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, with the with the lens flares and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, and it's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not that. It's very contemplative. I love it's that. Very meditative. Yes. You know, I mean, uh, man, there's just so many. Just I'm just thinking of the scene where they do his baseline, and like that scene is like unbelievable. Oh, the baseline, the test. The baseline yeah. Test. Yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievably, just yeah. like 
yeah, it's just, it's just like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. It's I, cool. I, yeah, I, I don't. It's even kind of hard to describe because it's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's something that puts you in another world, right? Mm-hmm. Where it feels something that could happen. We talked about this. So, yeah. so different than anything that we've experienced. That it's, it's like, it makes you feel the way you would expect to feel when you go into a sci-fi story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that, that feeling that you get, but some movies, books, whatever, some games even, some of them nail this thing where you just, you feel like, as long as you're engaging with it 100%, you just feel like you're there, and you feel all of the things that are not available in the real world as long as you're engaging with that thing. And Blade Runner specifically, I mean, whatever, both of them, but like this one d- definitely does that. Yeah, totally. Again, we could talk for hours about sure, this film. Sure. Yeah, we can we can have a more structured uh, discussion if you want. But yeah. long story short, I fucking love this movie too. Yeah, but... love Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Love yeah. it, love it, love it. Just one of the greatest films just of all yeah. time, um, and an, an incredible achievement of something that has so much to live up to. Yeah, and they they fucking knocked it out of the park. I mean, yeah, it's it something to better. study. I would say, like, how yeah. do you? There's so many parts that you have to like account for and how do you figure that out it's awesome yeah totally yeah. um okay yeah so that's uh my number 70 so what's your number 69 cool my number 69 i was so tempted because there's another movie on on this uh list to just like make it kind of a meme because haha 69 but no 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 we we we're doing this we're doing this correctly my number 69 is the passion of joan of arc uh not the christ uh, so when I talked about this in the previous episodes and in some of the other reviews that we've done, but like to me, and I say this a lot, it might get annoying, but to me personally, the biggest special effect you can have in your movie is your actor's face or like the close up, really. And it's not yeah. like a unique thing to say. It's not like I've, I've come up with it. There's a lot of like uh, Kiristami did an entire movie called Close Up. Um, but The Passion of Joan of Arc. So it's a 1928 film by uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer. And it's essentially about the trial of Joan of Arc. And it wasn't much of a trial. They just basically said, you're a heretic. You're going to fucking burn. And the entire movie, it's about a two-hour movie. But the entire movie, we are just chilling for the most... uh, Yeah, pretty much the whole thing. We're chilling with Joan of Arc. When I say chilling, we're just watching her suffer and cry. Yeah. And uh, it's incredible that um, Maria Falconetti is the, the actress who plays Joan of Arc. Not really an actress because she didn't act since this and she's not really in anything else. I think she did like one or two other things in like 1917, the real, you know, the year of our Lord, 1917. Yeah, (laughs) not that other one, (laughs) but like not um, not really an actress. And I don't know what kind of like a directing style they they used or like how much it feels to me like to get this type of performance, you have to be torturing your actor a little bit. Uh, It's a silent film. So there's no, um, and that helps even more. I saw this movie, I saw it a couple times since, but the first time I saw it, and that's probably why it's on my list in the first place, I saw it with a full, like, orchestra, basically. Orchestra. Yeah, uh, and it was, like, in an actual theater, and they, like, parted the curtains, and the movie started, the orchestra started to play, and they, like, scored the entire thing. And it's just such a beautiful film, Um because I like suffering, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, it kind of made me realize, though, like, the more we were watching it, the how much of just like a shot for shot remake the passion of the christ was of this movie because i love that movie too especially with like my background with my religious family and how much i fucking love mel gibson um but this just made me realize like this is the original and just how much more kind of haunting it is because uh there's a little more kind of like 
flashbacky stuff in in the the Passion of the Christ. This movie has that too, but for the most part, yeah, we're just pretty much hanging out with Joan of Arc, and uh, there's all of these like philosophical and religious type of questions, you know, like uh, when the the priests are there and they're asking her like, "Why did you do this and that?" and her answers are always like just kind of human answers. And uh, they're always like, no, you're a heretic because this and it says this here and stuff like that. And um, yeah, ultimately, obviously, it ends with her being burned at the stake. Uh, And it's just I don't know. It's like one of those. It's a purely cinematic thing, I think. Uh, And that's that's why I like it so much, because I don't know how you would do this in like certainly you could do this in a play. But to see this and to have this again, I love that we have this um, as a movie, as a film we can watch it again and again and we can watch this performance from almost a hundred years ago that is so so good this performance is incredible um i feel like not enough people talk about this movie and they should yeah. uh from the kind of classic slash silent silent era uh it's a really really fucking cool movie uh, it's a depressing movie obviously uh it's not gory or anything it's just like mentally damaging so <laughs> uh it just makes you feel like why are people such pieces of shit I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Passion of Joan of Arc, uh, at the very least, for the copious amount of just close-ups and just incredible acting that we get. Yeah. Yeah, this film's revolutionary. I feel like this film really, like, there are films that use close-ups, but not like this. Like, not you like actually this, yeah. feel the emotion of the person. Like, yeah. before it'd be like, you kind of, like, get in a little bit close and you see their face and they're like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Or it would you be know. part of, like, a part of a scene, part of the structure of a scene of, like, a gag. You know, you show this and then you show a reaction, but not, like, the entire, like, internal kind of... Yeah, I struggle. feel like this, this is another, when you talk about the history of acting on film, this mm-hmm. has to be, like, one of the... Because I, I don't think you've ever really seen anyone emote like that on film yeah, before. No, I, yeah. Like before it's like very staged kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or like, oh, you know, yeah, yeah pantomime. Yeah. Like this was this was like one of the first real performances you're, you're going to see in the history of film. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I like, too, is like the way that he contrasts because this was Theodore Dreyer, right? Yeah. Director. Yeah, he's a he's a great director um, with like the people that were judging her and yeah. it's like super low angle and they're like towering over yeah <laughs> and like their their performance was also very interesting too because i just remember like the way that they like you just you just get the sense like dude she's doomed she's doomed they're, they're, there's no yeah they're like this is not even like this is a mockery it's yeah. like a public it's like a it's public a execution yeah yeah it's not a trial yeah, yeah and it's just it's just like the way that the contrast those two because that's basically the film that's is all it is yeah her close-ups of her crying yeah. And then them looming over her. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible. It's just incredible. And it just, you know, it is absolutely a revolutionary film in the way that it used the, you know, used cinema to show a performance. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. show acting. Like nothing before it really had, had been able to do this on this level. And yeah, yeah it's, a, it's an amazing film. Yeah, it's absolutely something I, I I go back to and I would go back to and I will continue to go back to to for just kind of like to be inspired by like, again, just like why? Because sometimes, you know, there's there's so much you get stuck in all of this logistics and all of this stuff. And you're like, why the fuck are we doing this? Like, why would you ever choose to be in this profession? Uh, yeah. And then every once in a while, this is a good one to look at to be like, uh, at least for me, it's all about the performances. And some of these performances are just incredible. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's crazy, too, that like, you know, she stopped acting. Just yeah. Th- yeah, she's like, I'm good. Which I mean, what a way to go out! But like, didn't pursue it. Didn't maybe yeah. maybe she got a like a, a 
a, a view at like the business side of it. And she was like, well, if now that, you know, we did this and now I'm going to be put in like just generic other shit. Like, I think we're good. <laughs> it was very, it was a very different time. I, I, uh, I watched this movie, the cameraman, which was a Buster Keaton film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really kind of blown away by like the person who plays like the romantic lead. I was like, whoa, who is this person? She just seems cool. And like, I was reading about her. She like did a couple of the films, retired, and never talked about working in film. Right. Yeah, and that reminds like, me. Yeah, I read stories like that too. Yeah. It's like, whoa, that's that's like crazy. But like, again, these are people that lived a hundred plus years ago. Like, it's Hard a to it is a totally different universe yeah. than the one that we live in. Like for them, this was just like a thing they did, and maybe they didn't even really kind of feel very good about it or maybe, maybe they did or didn't but they they felt like they needed to become a mother or they need to become a nurse mm-hmm. or whatever and yeah, that was exactly. their their real calling in life was doing that and like this was just this thing you did when you were in your 20s or 30s right 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 you know they they i they probably just had no idea that they were going to become basically a cultural artifact of their time yeah and um, how cool it would be so someone someone should make a movie where you know people like this get to see a hundred years on down the road how like revered some of this work that they think is forgotten, you know, is, is uh, it should be like a Bill and Ted version of that. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll like get in a time machine and, and grab uh, all these people and all these actors that no one's ever heard of. And okay, here's a pitch for you. Bill and Ted's home movie. Oh, <laughs> and so, so, so they just get actors that were like in big movies that no one's ever heard of. I like it. I like or, it. Or it could be anyone, right? They could go back yeah. and get like, whoa, dead. We got to go get yeah. Buster Keaton and, <laughs> But Al Pacino's over there. No, we gotta get 70s Pacino. We gotta get 70s Pacino. (laughs) What if they have them do a scene together? (laughs) It's like they do heat, but it's like old Pacino. 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 (laughs) I'm telling you, man. Hey, we're gonna pitch it to them. All we gotta do is find them. Better not steal this idea from us, (laughs) bastard. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. So I, it's yeah, it's just really interesting. Like like again, that's a, this is a whole different universe. Like totally different that universe. People existed in because like film was not really a thing. It wasn't even like at this time no. when yeah, that yeah. movie came out, film was not considered art. If you could, if you can believe that, if film was not considered art, it not was really. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can believe it because I know it's true. But like, how do you see something like this and you're like, that's bad it's just people fucking doing faces in front of the camera i guess i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah they just you know i and people didn't understand the power of it yet. yeah um so there's, yeah there's something to be said though like when you project a, that's what i like about it when you put a face just a face on like a oh, hundred yeah. foot screen like there's very little things more powerful than that yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely it just so magnifies the human Mm-hmm. emotional landscape mm-hmm. I, I i think that again this is one of the this is probably the first movie to do that in the popular kind of consciousness but like they hadn't figured that out yet i guess because going forward you know we kind of figured out how movies like like we like what do we say like the by the 1940s kind of we figured out cinema everything is just iterating <laughs> i feel like i feel like the year was 1927 at that oh, year they, okay they had figured out everything they figured out everything in that's terms basically of the silent film yeah, that's basically this. This is a late silent era, nineteen twenty-eight. So, like, yeah. let's just cap it there. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And yeah. at that point, we were just sort of iterating on it. Um, yeah, crazy, but good shit. Yeah, number sixty-nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Passion of Joan of Arc. 
Cool. Yeah. So my number 69 is Touch of Evil, the Orson oh. Welles film. Did you know that they do this crazy like tr- tracking shot that yeah. like starts with the crane and then it goes? It's it's like every film student's fucking like yeah, vein what this dream? Movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that. But like they get annoyed by it, like, yes, we know a touch of evil is amazing. What about the rest of the movie? Why don't you tell us? Yeah, yeah. No one talks about any of the other stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So the the famous juggler, uh, Orson Welles. <laughs> Yeah, that guy. as as uh, as he's been called <laughs> by uh, David Fincher recently, <laughs> a showman and a juggler who also kind of <laughs> a showman and a juggler that like totally fucking yeah, yeah reshaped. Yeah. yeah, can't wait until we talk about Mank and then we can we can oh. uh, discuss that whole thing. The so whole lead up to it, yeah, yeah. So Orson Welles, uh, a very very interesting character. As an actor, as a director, as everything. So he acts oh, yeah. and directs in this. He's kind of fat, but, you know, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Um, kind of fits the character. He's this corrupt cop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we got to talk about that opening shot. It's amazing. It's totally beautiful. Um, and especially when you make it, it's not like today where you can do it on an iPhone and shoot it in 4K and you can do anything with the phone, with the camera. This is a big ass, giant oh, camera. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think Hitchcock saw the beginning of that movie and he was just like, because it's a Hitchcock thing. You see the bomb go in the car, thing, yeah. and then oh just, my god! Oh yeah, my god, like absolutely. it's a totally a Hitchcock thing, and like it's it's like I made rope, but this is just you know. <laughs> yeah. What what year did this movie come out? Uh, was that like 50, fifty something? Fifty six. Fifty eight. So in fifty eight, he was. Di- when did um, I forget when did Vertigo come out? It was like the late fifties, right? It was about that time. Yeah, it was about the. It might have been the same year. Yeah. So, yeah. um. Yeah, he was probably like, oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, That's like, oh, something I would do. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie is awesome. Um, the other thing that's cool, too, is when you get Orson Welles' film, you just get amazing actors who will just do his movie because he's yeah. Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. Charlton Heston, Janet Lee, Marlene mm-hmm. Dietrich, Zaza Gabor is in this, Joseph Cotton is in this for like a couple seconds. <laughs> um, so, yeah, all of his friends are just like, yeah, I'll do your movie in Mexico because you're yeah. Orson Welles, of course. Yeah, still. Um, Still, at that time, you, he was Orson Welles. He wasn't like, uh, Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, I don't know when the critical consensus about Citizen Kane became a thing. But, mm-hmm. yeah, what, it was probably probably like the early, probably like the early 50s. Because it was probably like right after, a couple years after the war ended. And the people were like, oh, shit, this was like really good. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. And so then, yeah, he became the thing. And unfortunately, there was the Magnificent Ambersons whole thing where they. Yeah, that's they, a, that sucks. They cut the they cut the ending and then they burned it because they were psychopaths. So we'll never really see that what that movie yeah. was supposed to be. But even what we got is pretty good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like Orson Welles, in my opinion, is a really really good director. Like there's so oh, many yeah. things he does. Well. Oh. Oh yeah. Fuck. Um, oh, yeah. The 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 way that he moves the camera, the way that he blocks actors. Actually, that's one of those things. In this mm-hmm. movie, it's like mm-hmm. really incredible where they just have these. These shots that are pretty kind of long ticky and static, but mm-hmm. the way that the actors move in the scene tells you a lot about the story. Yeah. Without yeah, having yeah. to do anything. And it's, it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's one of the things that uh, it's uh, one of those like internal editing things that the, uh, like Spielberg was just like became the fucking guy where he would put the camera somewhere, have the people move around and just like kind of move it over here and then do an entire scene that way um, without yeah. ever like cutting kind of. Like Spielberg is really famous for doing those internal editing scenes. Yeah, yeah. Where it's just like you start 
Yeah, like you start you start here and you kind of just move the camera a little bit, but like the scene could go on for like five minutes and you wouldn't notice kind of a thing. Yeah, because it just feels so seamless because mm-hmm. of the way the actors are moving. Yeah, it, it keeps feels it like it's a different shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this movie does that a lot where like people move around and like the person who's dominant changes mm-hmm, over the course mm-hmm. of the scene. All these subtle things that are just like really just incredible. It just um, and like this is this is a cool, fun story. Uh, yeah, it's very, very pulpy. I, you know. That's what I like about it, too, because you, you, you see that beginning shot so much, like it's referenced in so many things and top tens and whatever. But then I watched when I finally watched the rest of the movie, I was just like, this is a fun ass movie. <laughs> it is. It's super fun. Um, yeah. That, that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. But like, yeah, there's a lot of fun lines like, you know. He goes to see the the psychic Marlene Dietrich and is like, you have no future or whatever. <laughs> it's all used <laughs> up. It's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. great. There's just like a lot of really great stuff in this movie. I um, mean, or- Orson Welles chewing scenery is just like one of my top ten things. Just yeah, just him, chewing him it existing. Up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's so corrupt. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, that's probably about all I can say. I could say a lot more, but uh, it's a great yeah. film. It is a it's great a, yeah. film. And, you know, again, he's a great director. Oh, yeah. He's a great director. There's no question about it. No question yeah, you don't, about it. You don't, like, accidentally make Citizen Kane, I feel. No. That, that's my personal don't. opinion. You don't accidentally. <laughs> and, he, no, because, and this is good. And, like, again, there's other films. The Trial is really good. Yeah. I really like that film. Um, Chime, the Chimes of Midnight is pretty good. Um, um, the fucking Lady from Shanghai. <laughs> yeah, the Lady from Shanghai. Yeah, that that yeah. fucking sequence with the mirrors is, like, insane. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's insane. I don't yeah. know about that accent, but that... Uh, that movie well, was <laughs> yeah. Some, sometimes too much power is also a thing. Yeah. So yeah, Orson Welles, anything. talented guy. This is a great film. This is one of the better films that he that he's made. I'd say I'd say this is probably regarded as like the second best film that he's made. I mean, people there are discussions about. Um, I feel like if Ambersons hadn't Ambersons. been fucking cut off, it would have been yeah. like the the second. Oh movie. yeah. 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 Ambersons is like it's like uh, yeah that, that, that's like what again that's one of the great like what ifs of film oh, history i know you know yeah what's even what's even more tantalizing is like you know there are films that we never got you know the scorsese movie about uh about uh what's his name about frank sinatra or like right, the, right, right, right. The, the kubrick we, napoleon these things mm-hmm. that we never got we just heard about but mm-hmm. this is like the uh, a thing. the yodorowsky dune <laughs> yeah yeah the things the like but like this is like we see the film we know what's there it's yeah. just something is just gone Ugh. So, yeah, we'll yeah. just we'll CGI. It. We'll get someone to restore it. We'll just like make it make up the last act in CGI. So so <laughs> supposedly he was going to reshoot it himself, and he needed some money, and so he found some guy, some rich guy who was like, "Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'll pay for it." And then the guy, I don't know, disappeared. Well, listen, there's yeah, like he, at least three or four Orson Welles movies that are completed that we haven't seen yet. So you never know; they might just find some, you know, some fucking like uh, handwritten notes somewhere, and you know, maybe someone will do it one day. Yeah, but well, we will. Well, but yeah, Bogdanovich will, will will find a way. God, I love that guy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, um, <laughs> it's very. They have a very interesting relationship. The two of them. Oh like, yeah. He's he's like he's like. I don't even know like like what the what the word like he's he's like his Iago or whatever. He's like he's his like he's like his cheerleader. I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. That's <laughs> that's that's definitely a way to put it. Um, yeah. But yeah. He he's always there like defending his legacy. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So that's that's my uh that's my sixty nine touch of cool. evil. Love it. Yeah, we're getting into some really good stuff now. Oh yeah. Not yeah. that not that the stuff wasn't good, but like mm-hmm. the the discussions are only gonna be longer now. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> 
Anyways, moving right along. Number 68, uh, out of sight. Steven Soderbergh's out of sight. Because as much as I love, you know, big experimental and art films and things like that, what I love more is a 90s, like, shit fest of a, uh, not shit fest, but like a 90s uh, kind of, uh, interpretation of like all of these cool kind of like noir mood movies. And this movie is just so fucking like it's so designed by committee on paper that it could have been one of the biggest disasters like ever made. Like we will take the two most <laughs> like scientifically proven attractive people on the planet, put them in a movie together and uh, well, it's a plot about, I don't know, he's a thief or some shit and they're, they're going in and out of jail and whatever, whatever. We'll make like a convoluted plot about a thing. We'll get like, uh, you know, Don Cheadle in there, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, what came out of it is actually a really like well done, uh, like thriller movie. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's Steven Soderbergh's coming out party. Uh, after a decade of just like wallowing in obscurity because he makes Sex, Lies, and Videotape and he's instantly just yep. like everyone puts way too much worth on him. And th- he said this himself. He's just like instantly overvalued basically. And so they expect that whatever he makes after that is going to be, you know, they, they kind of treat him as this like savant <laughs> or yep. whatever for having made that first movie. And so the projects that he chooses are very like Soderbergh just is, he's just fucking nonstop, just trying to do different things. But out of sight was like his kind of like, I'm, kind of frustrated with just doing these like tiny movies that nobody sees for my own personal edification. I want to make something that I like and also a lot of other people like. So the relationship with kind of George Clooney starts here. Um, but this movie is just like, it's, it's so um, what's the word cool, I guess. What's another word? Um, stylish. Yeah, I don't stylistic. know. Stylistic. Yeah. It's very, again, it's, it's, it's very kind of film noir by way of the nineties. So like, People are talking as fast as they did in film noir and they're being witty and shit like that. But it's like 90s witty. So it's dumb and uh, dumb, certainly by comparison. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's just a really cool movie. It's just uh, George Clooney is a fucking degenerate thief and he escapes from prison. And uh, Jennifer Lopez is this hot cop who goes to arrest him or catches him breaking out of prison. But, you know, they fall in love, but they can't be in love because he's a felon and she's a FBI or not. She's a detective or whatever the fuck it is. It doesn't matter. You, this movie is, it's for hot. You watch it for the hot people and the cool cinematography and the cool, like, um, diamond theft kind of a plot that it has going on. Cause you know, he's, they have this, basically they spend this incredible night together. And then there's like a, She's always like chasing after him because he's plotting the the next theft and she's trying to stop him, but she doesn't really want to stop him. She just like wants him to change, right? She just wants him to not be a piece of shit, but he can't not be a piece of shit because this is a film noir thing. So yeah, it's just a cool um, 90s movie, I think. But the, the reason it's on the list and the reason that I feel like people are still going to talk about this movie is that like what if scene that um, they meet up in a uh, in a bar somewhere. Uh, and it's got like uh, it's set against this like uh, cityscape, basically this like nighttime kind of uh, cityscape behind them. And <laughs> it's just shot in like the most again, just like the coolest way. It's like a smoky kind of a bar thing. It's very color like it's very either blue or orange because Soderbergh and um, they talk about in like uh, what ifs in like third person. They're like, what if, you know, we could be together kind of a thing. Um 
it's just like a, it's nothing new, but it's for it's like in the '90s kind of style, and uh, it's a very cool movie. I, I, I mean, I love Out of Sight. So yeah, this is kind of like, and you know, we talked about this last week when we talked about the game, kind of this these high concept '90s thrillers that are sort of a bygone era. That stuff is unfortunately. Yeah, over. Oh, I would love, yeah. You know, where you get these big name actors and sort of an interesting concept or something that's you know inherently sort of cinematic, and yeah. boom, you got a movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah. And the only thing that because in the 90s, they were making so many of these and so many of them were forgotten because of how kind of lame and by the numbers they were. This one stands out because they had Soderbergh, basically, and he was able to employ his creative kind of he does a lot of stuff with like creative with uh, blocking as well. I think he's like not talked about as much for that and uh, some interesting camera angles. And he's able to kind of rein in his actors and uh, get good performances out of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Out of sight. Cool really, really fucking cool movie. Uh, a little bit of a bygone era, I guess, uh, if you would say, because certainly I would love to see a movie like this. Like, if again, you just take whatever, two hot people that are hot now. I want to see more of these types of movies, but we're not getting them. So this is pretty much like the last big one that we got that wasn't like Ocean's Eleven or like a big ensemble thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's now the uh the Netflix machine. It's the algorithm. Netflix machine, but none of those movies are cool enough. Like none of those movies have like a distinct style or they you know, they have something that they're paying homage to. They're usually just designed like they're yes. just generic, you know. It's it's yeah. It's the conveyor the belt. The conveyor <laughs> belt. Yeah. 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 Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um cool. Out of sight. Okay, mm -hmm. so my number sixty eight is another Charlie Kaufman movie. Uh, directed by Spike Jones adaptation. So um, this, you know, the 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 stories about how these movies get made. So last week we talked about uh, yeah. being John Malkovich and like how how that thing got made. This is another crazy story. So like, you know, this person Susan uh, Orlean, she writes this. Mm -hmm. So first it was like an article. Um, I think it was in the New York Times or something like that about these. It's it's basically a nonfiction about some people who are stealing stuff or whatever in Florida from this reservation. Um, and then at some point, so basically at that point, people were like, oh, this should be a movie. Um, not for real. Like that's basically yeah. it. They were like, yeah, this yeah. should be a movie. So then- Because because again, it was the early 2000s. They were like, that's a concept. Let's make it. Yeah, let's make a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so then, they, then she writes a book. And so then the rights get kind of moved around. And then at some point, Charlie Kaufman gets the assignment to write this story based on this, this concept. Uh, and then he gets writer's block <laughs> mm. <laughs> and he has no idea how to actually translate this into a film. So what does he do? He writes a story about himself Writing trying to make the, this yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he creates this character. Uh, that's his twin brother. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then what's crazy is like, and then people make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, they don't make this movie if being John Malkovich doesn't already exist. But like, holy shit. And the other thing, too, is like, again, Nicolas Cage is like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> you know, like the fact of the matter is like, there's a bunch of people. This has an amazing cast, right? Oh, yeah. Nicolas Cage, Tilda Swinton, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper, Doug Jones, all these people, they're like, yeah, we're in. We're in. And it's like, okay, if they're in, then we're going to make it. <laughs> yeah. And and it's 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 important that like, Nicholas Cage has always been Nicholas Cage. He just happened to be at the absolute like hottest that he ever was in the late nineties, early two thousands. So that helps. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is an absolutely like there's so many levels of like 
how this film is awesome. Um, oh, again, one, one of my favorites is like, so he goes to see Robert McKee, who's this screenwriting. He wrote this really, uh, basically a, a, almost like biblical screenwriting book. Mm-hmm. And so the character goes to see him and then, the, and then he goes on this rant, like, don't ever fucking use a uh, voiceover. God help you if you ever use voiceover. And then the rest of the movie, there's no voiceover. voiceover. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so funny. There's so many things about, and this, again, this is another one. I forget what we were talking about. Uh, I think it was, um, uh, what was that film we were talking about? Uh, Sunset Boulevard, where it's like, mm. it's it's the inside baseball stuff, but it makes it relatable. Yeah. Like this somehow, like, because it's about this guy's struggle, right? Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. just struggling. And we've all had a struggle, but this is like a uniquely it's about. It's uniquely like a writer thing. A writer's like a thing. Creative thing, yeah. And again, he's so smart with able to like the way that he makes these turns in the film because the film takes a turn in like, I, I don't know if it's like the second half or like maybe the towards the end of toward the, this. I feel like the third act of this movie is just a different movie, which is obviously he makes it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the third act of the movie is written by his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's totally different. And it's like mm-hmm. an action movie or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, you're just like, you're like on this wild ride. It's like, what the hell is going on? You know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 the most the most uh like what is it? Um uh, fuck, I forget the term. There's like a literary term for it, but it's like the most it's like the most postmodern thing you could ever fucking make. <laughs> and that's what I love about it, because like I was struggling, like I this is for sure probably my favorite Charlie Kaufman like script, but because it's because I like inside baseball stuff so much personally, I love I don't care what it is. I, I love movies about like trades or like about things that i don't know but i like to see kind of how the sausage is made and because those movies tend to they make it fun because you know a lot of times just the day-to-day of stuff is really boring so the movies try to make it more interesting this movie i've never and i still haven't to this day like never seen a movie as like bizarre like as just out there in terms of like Self, I don't know, like the the meta, the self-referential stuff, the 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 fucking he ends up. It's like revealed that he's one of the writers on being John Malkovich because it literally is him. And then they like and then they they bring back the John Malkovich people for like one scene. And it's just like there's some B-roll where it's it's Charlie Kaufman, but played by by Nicolas Nicolas Cage. Cage. I know behind the scenes of. Mm -hmm him on set it's just mm-hmm. like and then like he's like he's like taking a break and then he's like oh i gotta write this other script you know yeah it's so funny i think the yeah like the malkovich 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 scene is represented yeah, yeah 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 it's, that's what they're shooting yeah it's the most insane like how the fuck do you make a script like this work i don't know it's it's literally magic to me because i don't I, like screenwriting is one of those things that i'm just not good at and i don't understand how to make it like if i read one sure but like um to be able to craft something like this and not lose your mind, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, because this came out of basically the desperation of just like looking at the source material and being like, I, I don't see a story here. It's so creative. It. It's yeah. such a creative script. Yeah. Yeah, and he's just like he's just so brilliant, you know. And mm-hmm. I guess you know you just take his mind because like he's Charlie Kaufman is a guy who like basically he's a career writer. He worked, yeah. I, I forget where he did before. It was like SNL or some shit like that mm-hmm. or something, some kind of big, you know, kind of corporate NBC kind of shit. Mm-hmm. And while he's, you know, doing the work, he would write the stuff on spec mm-hmm. um, or take a, take a job like this. <clears throat> so like he wrote on spec, like being John Malkovich, uh, supposedly also there, I forget what it was. 
that he had done a version of that didn't get filmed. It was like a scanner darkly, I believe. Yeah, I think that's it. He did. He had wrote an a- amazing would that have been. It, I, 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 I mean, that movie's already fucking weird, but like uh, the, the Charlie Kaufman uh, take the weird thing, but make it pal- palatable would have helped for that movie. I think. Yeah, for sure. So he's, he's been like in his, you know, the work that's not like, you know, so that I can live in New York or whatever. Um, yeah. That stuff, that's, <laughs> that stuff has been absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting to see, like, you know, basically he pounded his head on a desk for months or maybe even like a year. And then he spit this out. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just like so amazing to see what comes out of his mind. It's so, yeah, it's like the peak of the craft and it's about the craft and it is one level even deeper than that. It's about the guy writing the thing and that's just, that that stuff, I'm so amazed by it and I'm so impressed by it. Maybe it's not that impressive, but like to me, I just think it's the most, it's just like tra- the crazy, the self-referential stuff is the hardest stuff to pull off in my opinion because uh, you could just make it so gaudy and like stupid and like I get it. Like I watched the movie, like a uh, old Clint Eastwood movie where it's like a, the, one of the comedies with the fucking orangutan oh, and, yeah. and he, uh, <laughs> he like walks, he like walks into this small like town and like fucking Wyoming or whatever. And then he walks down an alleyway and like this other guy comes out with like a six shooter. And then they do the, uh, the cue from the good, the bad and the ugly. And I hated that so much. Like it pisses me off so much. Like that's that's how you do bad self-referential. Like that doesn't belong in your shitty movie with an orangutan. But um, this is just so creative. I love this movie. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's really incredible. Like when you unleash his mind, what comes out, you know. And mm-hmm. so this was something like for a while he was he was basically like in the I'm thinking of ending things. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? He was like, I can't do this. I can't there's no way that I can do this. There's no way I can make a good movie out of, out of this, this source yeah. material. Right. 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 And he somehow still made this unbelievable movie. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the, the, if you pair this and being John Malkovich with this movie, it's like the most original, like so original um, stuff that you could find. Like, it's just, it's incredible. I, I think adaptation, I like it better. I think it is a better film than being John Malkovich, but God damn, like it's so smart. <laughs> I just love all of them. You know, I mean, they're definitely like, again, we'll, we're going to see another one on my list that he wrote. Um, but yeah, I just, I just like, there's, there's never going to be a person in film like him. Ever. No, no way. Right? Like, never. it's so unique. It's, it's unique in its structure and in its creativity and in its bizarreness. But every single one of them has like an undertone of depression. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> right and and this is like him being depressed trying to write this exactly movie. yeah every single one has it's ultimately about like i'm really really sad so whatever let's just go on this crazy insane journey <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's cool yeah so yeah that's adaptation that's mm-hmm. uh what were we at 68 68 i guess yeah. 68 adaptation God, what a good movie. I was saving that one for for later, but uh, there's another Charlie Kaufman movie that might might actually end up taking it. Anyways, um, number 67 then, yeah? Yep. All right, my number 67, and I believe I haven't looked at it. I'll do it like a quick scan. This is the beginning of the many, many, many entries on my list, like a hilarious amount by Brian De Palma, because Brian De Palma is stylistically, I think, probably like the director that I would try to emulate, you know? Like whenever I try to make movies, 
mm-hmm. shorts, whatever. Whenever I'm writing something or thinking about an idea, I think of it in De Palma terms. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. everything, everything I do, I try to be Brian De Palma. You like that uh, split diopter? <laughs> yes, a lot. And uh, Pino De Nagio. He does stories. it a lot. I, yeah. I really, I really like it, and he does it very well. Well, what 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 uh, gave me a a kick was after kind of uh, going through my self-imposed De Palma school, I went back and I watched on a whim like um, Reservoir Dogs and like some other Tarantino movie. And he uses Uh it a lot, too. Uh I was like, oh, I get it. We're all fucking scholars from the same. Uh Well, basically. He's a whole bunch. Hateful Eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I like that shit. I like the scores. Most, but what I, my favorite De Palma, though, is like when he's just doing like sleazy Hitchcock, uh, because that's, that's basically what his thing is. Like people think of Brian De Palma and for a good reason. They think of Scarface and Mission Impossible, probably, and like a couple other things, like in the pop culture. Uh, but like ultimately, as a filmmaker, he is just a sleazy Hitchcock. Sisters. Carrie, like a lot of these movies are just sleazy Hitchcock. Um, so my number 67 is a movie he made called Body Double. Uh, it was released. It, it, he made it right after Scarface and people already fucking hated Scarface. Mm. And people hated this movie a lot, a lot, a lot more. Mm. Uh, and they call it all kinds of things. And again, they think it's very sexist and this and that. But it's such a fucking... It's just a sleazy Hitchcock premise. It's basically like rear window ish, but uh, so it's about a guy who comes to LA or Hollywood or whatever. And he's like living in his friend's loft. His friend's like, I'm out of town. You can live in my fucking penthouse in the Hollywood Hills or not my penthouse, my like actual, you know, big house or whatever it is. And he sees through his window across the street or whatever, this like gorgeous girl. And she's like naked all the time. And he's like, I'm going to be obsessed with her for a while. And uh, so he does. And he, and then we get this like incredibly, just very long like he he kind of does a dress to kill again where he it's like a 15 20 minute sequence uh, at the on rodeo drive where he's tailing this woman and there's no dialogue and it is just smooth as fuck camera work uh and it's like this intense kind of a thing and then um they have like they they meet up on the beach and they have this kiss which is literally the kiss from vertigo and they're doing like the they're spinning the thing and it's like painted backgrounds it's it's super lame so that's like the first half of the movie and it has absolutely nothing to do with the second half of the movie because after he gets to kiss this woman then he gets obsessed with this other woman who is a porn star uh named uh which is a phenomenal name holly body uh (laughs) and uh then he gets involved in like the kind of like porn like the like the porn kind of in underworld but it's like a 1980s porn underworld so it's like very flashy very cocaine um this entire movie this movie is like responsible for the frankie goes to hollywood song the relax song that they use in zoolander like, oh yeah it's just, it, like the 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 basically the music video for that song is in this movie and it's just about this guy trying to bang holly body at that point and then there's the in, there's like the plotty stuff there's a killer on the loose and whatever it's not important the point is body double is just like a really sleazy it's a sleazy premise, right? Like he he sees this porn star and then he like tries to he just follows her to see what she's into and of course she's involved in like criminal stuff and uh so he ultimately tries to save her. But it is De Palma it's the last movie that he made as far as I can remember where he's just doing Hitchcock. He does Hitchcock for like an hour of this movie and like shamelessly. 
shamelessly so. And I love that. I love that so much because again, like the split diopter stuff we were just talking about that, like everybody ripped off of his stuff uh, and he ripped off of, he ripped it off of someone else, obviously. But the, for the most part, all of the three, it's just adult Hitchcock, but like not intelligent, just more, you know, just a little more sleazy. And I love that Mm -hmm. stuff. I like to see, and I, I, I read a lot of interviews with De Palma, and I watched a lot of stuff about him. And he's just like, basically, he's got like a couple of things. Like, I like Hitchcock. I like photographing women, um, and a, you know, like he's just like he's a very kind of I'm a simple man. He's a simple man, and I'm also a simple man of a very, very base uh, desires and pleasures. And <laughs> this is a fun like thriller with a sleazy premise and like a, a crazy, you know, it's one of those whacked out crazy plots where, you know, there's a killer and whatever they try to stop him. But, um, I love how I love excess. I think that's like clear. Um, I like, and this is like a eighties movie again. It's, it's his next movie after Scarface. And mm-hmm. so it's, and it's an LA movie and, uh, it's <laughs> LA in the eighties diamonds, cocaine, porn stars. All of it is in this movie. Uh, there's a guy with a giant fucking drill and he drills a woman through like the floor, like they're on the second floor. And the, this guy's drill is so big that he like drills her into the floor and the Holy drill comes, shit. it comes through the ceiling on the first floor. And the guy sees wow. like this bloody drill, like dripping from the ceiling. So like, it's got all of those like insane over, 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 overdone gore and violence and sex and all the stuff that De Palma became known for. But ironically enough, you know, he said in an interview, like everybody hated, like full stop hated Scarface and body double. But when I'm approached by like a filmmaker, the one that the ones that come up more than anything else are Scarface and body double. (laughs) So yeah, it's not one of his best. It's not one of his better movies, but I just like how it's it's right. Like because throughout the seventies, all he was doing is just doing Hitchcock. Like Obsession was just a fucking Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Sisters, all this stuff, and this is like the last one where he's like, I'm gonna do Hitchcock again, and I'm gonna. It's the eighties, so we're all doing cocaine, so we're just gonna ham it up a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I love it. I love it. Like if you if you look up that scene, the the kiss on the beach from Body Double, and you just see like how fucking shot for shot he's doing Vertigo. It's kind of funny. So yeah. yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I you know. Because, like, these these guys are some of the first people in American film that, like, love film. Right. And, like, they have that actual historic understanding of film. And so mm-hmm. they're able to, like, reference other stuff. Uh, before then, you know, it was like a guy... The, dire- the directors were definitely different. They didn't see themselves in, in that kind of a way, you know? I know what you're um, saying, yeah. Like, like, there was this great interview with John Ford and Bogdanovich... Mm-hmm. And Bogdanovich was like, well, you know, your films, because like, I mean, John Ford did silent. Like, he's basically one of the main people responsible for what is a Western. John Ford, like, is, yeah, is like the Hollywood movie, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And and he was sort of asked about like, hey, you know, like the way you depict people in like the the ones from the 20s is very different from like what you're doing now. And he was like, what are you talking about? I don't know. It's all the same. Yeah. It's like. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Well, um, when when you're John Ford, but yeah, but you're directing between then and now, you've directed fifty other movies. You know what the fuck time do you really have to think about it? You're not inspired by anyone else yourself. You've kind of you're part yeah. of the the. He he. Cert- well, uh, the point I'm making is like he certainly became extremely revisionist in the 
like the Man Shot Liberty Valance, even um, the Searchers. Yeah, yeah. He did he did some another one after that where it was like before it's like Indian bad we shoot them we kill them and we conquer and mm-hmm. then it's like well maybe maybe we're kind of bad maybe the Western thing is a lie maybe this maybe that I just bring that up because like you know the way that you know the way that he would talk about his himself he wouldn't even he wouldn't even go there he would say no i've always made the same western what are you talking about and -hmm. it's like you know now um people like him like it's way more intellectual like the way that you these these directors dealt with film history and their themselves and the style and their art yeah yeah, yeah. um 100 percent, yeah and they're again they're like they're they're all they're fans is the thing because like john ford is john ford and but like you know when he starts out in the fucking 1910s or 20s um there's not really anything to be a fan of they're kind of just trailblazing at that point or they're doing their own thing uh these this is like you said the first generation i mean it's well documented like the 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 brat pack of the movie the american movie directors like they're inspired by um you know european movies french new wave and they're also inspired by classical hollywood and but most importantly like they love this shit and they're like break they break down like why they love this shit and they put it in their own movies and so it just so happens that uh this guy's particular thing was like thrillers and you know crime movies and things like that uh movies where there's a hot girl you know like again hitchcock so um yeah Yeah, this is just this is just that this is just the the it's the shittiest one of that that he's made, and I like it because of how like just schlocky it is. It's also yeah, because like you know in the Hitchcockian world, the sex is always under the surface, but it's there. Mm -hmm. Like he Mm -hmm. always casts a blonde girl because he's like, yeah, I want to I'd want to bang a blonde girl. Yeah, no, he uh, Hitchcock, yeah, a hundred percent knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, it's just like show it. It was just like a, the very British kind of like, oh, I'm a serene, you know, I'm a, mm. <laughs> you know, but like he's a, he's a dirty, he's a dirty dude. He was a dirty dude, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, it was just like, you know, he just thought cinematically. It's like, well, I'm going to let you think about the sex. Right. I'm going to sh- I'm going to show a train going into a, into a thing. And like, you know what happens. You know what that means. Yeah. Well, because, well, I mean, he was, he was beholden to the code, like very strictly. So, yeah. Yeah, he was, but yeah, I I haven't seen like the really late films, like Frenzy or whatever. I haven't seen those yet. I I, I actually, Frenzy, I quite like, because, you know, I like degenerate shit and I figure there's no more digit, like the the original degenerate is Hitchcock. And so uh, I figured, you know, like, what does an R rated 70s Hitchcock movie look like? Um, It's, it's, actually pretty tame by comparison by the time yeah. hitchcock got to make his dirty old man movies de palma was out there doing like the real dirty yeah. old man movies. yeah absolutely yeah. yeah i yeah i feel like you know they just he just always held back it was like yeah. it's better well, to let I, you think I, about it exactly either held back or found a more creative way to get the point yeah. across yeah yeah because like again he's always about like get into the get into the the mind of the you know the audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let them imagine because it's it's better to have them imagine it within especially like violence and shit like that you know yeah 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 well i like it's 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 a it's a it's a perfect medium because there's some there's some of that stuff where they get creative within you know like like the bathroom scene in scarface where like you don't get to see the guy get mopped like chopped up but like holy shit like you know exactly what's happening and in your head it's probably worse so yeah um but anyways, I just yeah, that's the beginning of probably the many uh, diplomas that we're going to talk about. But it is interesting, yeah. It's just 
because now these guys are dirty old men to us. Mm-hmm. But yes. in the same way, in the same way that De Palma was was watching Hitchcock when he was our age, and then he ended up making those movies when he was in his forties. I feel like that's kind of what's happening here. <laughs> I'll just yeah. take it a step further than that. Maybe who knows? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I don't know what happened to your camera. I have it. Uh, it's on my. I have. I see. I see me on my screen. Okay. Do you see yourself like zoomed in? No. Okay. Yeah. Cause like on what I'm seeing, it's like super zoomed in. So it's like, I'm just seeing your, uh, basically just your background. Uh, okay. it's just, it's just all I'm seeing is, uh, okay. Some technical things here. No, I just, I just reset better. it. I reset cool. it for you. Cause yeah. Cause cool. it's, it's fine on my end. Cool. Yeah. Now it's good. It's okay, good. cool. Awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. So that was, um, your 67. Yeah. That, that was, was body double. Body double. Cool. Cool. Okay, so my number 67 is um, from Luis Buñuel, a guy who I think is actually a really, really good director, mm-hmm. has a really good canon of films. Uh, so this is The Exterminating Angel. Mm-hmm. So just to give some context about like kind of Luis Buñuel, who he is and what he does, uh, he is one of the people who kind of pioneered the surreal film. Uh, Un Chin Andalou is like one of the first surreal films basically ever. Yeah. Uh, and it's just some kind of wacky stuff. What people probably mostly know is like someone out, someone's eye gets slit. Yeah. Um, I like that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he is like, he was like a huge um, Spanish Mexican director. Um, and he's, you know, continued to do surrealist stuff. He did some stuff that's sort of a normal narrative. A lot of his films kind of had to do with either like some kind of class conflict or like people that are poor he loved to make fun of religion and shit. Um, basically, that was like his thing is like attack because so at the time, um, Franco was in power yeah, in Spain. And so he had tons of battles with censorship and the church and the, the government. Um, I think at some point he basically left to go to make films in Mexico uh, just to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, and so this is a film kind of in... Um, in kind with that so yeah a lot of these films they are satirical um sort of debasing society it's like well society's dumb and i'm just gonna make this surreal thing that kind of makes fun of it mm-hmm. so this this film is about a it's these like sort of rich people who come to this dinner party they go to this party they're eating or whatever and then they just can't leave yeah <laughs> they can't leave they don't know why they just yeah. cannot leave they cannot get themselves to leave and so so some people react by freaking out other people are like okay let's kill ourselves and so some people like they hang themselves or something <laughs> and then they then they run out of food they're like what are we gonna do and so then these sheep come in which is like another sort of allegory these sheep come in they kill the sheep and they eat them um and then they these people they just try all kinds of stuff some someone tries a kabbalah ritual that doesn't work yeah they get some other religious people to do other stuff that doesn't work and then finally um this woman who's like called valkyrie or some shit like that <laughs> El Valkyrie <laughs> tells them to like, <laughs> let's try recreating what we did before. And then that finally breaks the spell. So then to celebrate, they go to a, yeah, they go to a church ceremony <laughs> and they get stuck at the church. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, uh, so what happens? So then they, they get trapped and they don't know what to do. And so then there's a riot outside of the church and then a bunch of cops are beating the shit out of, uh, people that are rioting and then the end of the film you see a a flock of sheep going into the church with the sound of gunshots and then yeah as like you said Uh, the 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 satire is complete the the satire is complete. the cycle will come will continue 
it, it is yeah it, it's it's just yeah it's 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 funny it's surreal it's absurd and again he's just lampooning the church and the people in power um you can you can take this as an allegory for a lot of stuff but yeah it's always like f the f the fascist government f the church you guys are all in league suppressing people and this is how absurd what you guys are doing is mm-hmm. that's basically mm-hmm. the movie <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's so it's so some of the Buñuel stuff is so fun to me to me I don't know because I like I've always liked the kind of uh, social commentary stuff and it's the social commentary stuff is always more fun from like the um, I don't know 50 60 years ago because like there were so many more like on film in particular there were so many more restrictions in place you know like when Hitchcock you know like he re-edits the kiss or whatever because they can't be kissing more than four seconds on screen you know like shit like that I, I like it when they the filmmakers find a creative like way to do middle fingers but well just like he just he goes like all in. he just goes like the entire movie is about that there's like not even any kind of like plot to it it's just is uh and I, I love that yeah yeah, he's just like, let me turn up the blasphemy level mm-hmm. to an 11. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, he just skewers them. He skewers yeah. all these people who are, you know, trying to suppress this stuff. And it's just like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's found his power. Yeah, I mean, he, his his stuff is so, like, he's he's someone that doesn't really get talked about. I think probably because his films are so not, um, you know, it's, it's not, they're not narrative films. So you can't mm-hmm. really, like talk about him in the same way exactly, as with yeah. someone like Hitchcock where it's yeah. like every, a lot more people can enjoy Vertigo yeah. or yeah whatever stuff like that um but yeah I feel like his if you look at all the films that he did like his stuff is on the the level of the greats I mean there's like 13 or 14 amazing films that he's done I think so career, yeah yeah which is very impressive that is impressive mm-hmm. it's hard to make one good movie yeah it's hard to make like five he made like 13 or 14 that are really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, well, was he, was he like a painter or something before he did films? I don't, I don't know. I don't know no. if he was a painter or not. I, um, I just he remember did, he, he did work with Dolly on Salvador Dolly on the, uh, on Chinandalu. On the movie. Yeah. 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 But I know like he, but for sure he was some kind of art, like a hands-on kind of artist. A lot of these surrealists to like, they start out, you know, doing some kind of art, uh, yes. by hand. And then they're like, well, film is just a thing that people are not utilizing, to the, its fullest potential, so I'm just gonna, you know, go play. That's gonna be my canvas, you know. And so I, yeah, I, I am a big surrealist fan. I like uh, this and the Maya Darren stuff. And oh, I love the Maya Darren. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I love. I, I, I think you're right. I think surrealism just doesn't get in, like, or at least the surrealist kind of like filmmakers don't get enough of a uh, talked about as much as they should because they, they contribute just as much to film, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel. I feel like he should be talked about like. With him and Hitchcock and like right Bergman, yeah. um, Bergman for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I mean, in that in that vein, yeah. Yeah, Kurosawa, like he should mm-hmm. be talked about with them because like he is mm-hmm. the the when you look at the body of work, it's as good as any of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Yeah, but exterminating angels is a fun one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and yeah, it's just like it's just so once you like kind of piece it together, you're like, whoa, this is hilarious, but. Great. And it's always like it's it's like really kind of dark, right? Like you think of this thing, you see a bunch of sheep going into the church and you're hearing gunshots, and it's like <laughs> it's hilarious, but it's like, dude, that's messed up what you're saying. Yeah. I didn't see what you're saying, and it's whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean for for the for the population at the time to see something like that, it must have been real, like fucking shocking. <laughs> 
like we yeah, can well, see it in like you know we can read about this stuff but like I don't know, dude. The the socio political climates in some of these movies were released in. Holy shit! Yeah, my like I said, my girlfriend she's Portuguese. Um, mm. The you know religion plays a very big part in the por- those people's lives, yeah. and so when you like go after that stuff, like that's when you get a strong reaction. <laughs> yeah, when you attack the church, it's not just like attacking these other people. It's like attacking your culture, the, the country. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like it was a full scale repulsion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, good. You you need to be you need to be kicked in the nuts sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, and he like, but the thing again, it's it's so funny, right? Mm-hmm. You see this thing of sheep going into a church, and it's like it's hilarious, but you're like, whoa, <laughs> this yeah. is so dark. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's brilliant, right? It's brilliant because like working on that level. That's really takes high level of like, you know, you got to be smart. Yeah. To create these kind of connotations. Cause it's not like you said, the church is killing you mm-hmm. and show like people like a fucking like a clergy shooting someone. But that said it exactly the same without having to show anything. And, and well, but, and then again, that's why I like the surrealist filmmakers because if you think about the logic of it, like how do we start with the dinner party and end up with sheep, like meaning, something so like building yeah. kind of the structure of the film is like is it's just i don't know how the fuck these people do it it's it's like to me it's like the same way that like i think of a charlie kaufman script i'm like i don't i fundamentally don't understand like these things these separate things that you're doing should not work and, they, and there shouldn't even be a way for you to make the pieces fit together but they always do and it's always super fun and funny so yeah i don't know it's it's remarkable yeah yeah his yeah. films his films are like very funny but very yeah. you know just on point. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's that's uh, my, what are we, 67, uh, 67. Exterminating Angel. Cool. All right. Moving on to 66 then. Uh, 66 is just the uh, hands down. I mean, look, I love Lethal Weapon, and I'm always going to keep rewatching Lethal Weapon. And again, I... Well, I'm outspoken for outspoken within the podcast that, you know, we are doing uh, that. I love Mel Gibson so much. And that movie is always going to have a place in my heart. But simply the better script is Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. I love this movie so much. The number 66 is uh, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. It is a Shane Black movie. And it's like it's like the Shane Black movie, in my opinion. Uh, Shane Black, you know, the guy who kind of literally like broke Hollywood when he wrote that Lethal Weapon script. Uh, in the 80s because like they just it there was just like I remember because uh, I took a screenwriting class and we kind of like like the 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 sheer kind of like shockwaves it sent of like you can just you can do that you can just put two guys in a car and have them talking about random bullshit and make a movie about it uh and like yeah it was just like a whole different thing and then of course he he went on to be a predator and, and shit like that but uh I think he came out of all of that as like a pretty good filmmaker because uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is, I don't know if it's his first directorial feature. It might be. Uh, it's the first one he directed for sure. But it's about, so it's, and it's such a perfect movie and I just wish more people had have seen it. Um, it's with Robert Downey Jr. just doing Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Val Kilmer, who I fucking love. And mm-hmm. uh, Robert Downey Jr. is trying to be an actor in L.A., relatable um and basically he you know it's a shane black thing so some there's a murder it's christmas time and somehow the the protagonist gets uh involved he gets mistaken basically he's well sorry he is a he's he's like a 
thief basically and he ends up in an audition for a movie running from the cops <laughs> so while he's running from the cops he ends up in this audition and during the robbery his friend got murdered or like the cops killed his friend so he's in the audition and they're like all right do the scene now and then robert Downey jr just has like an actual breakdown because his friend just died in real life and they're like this guy's incredible. Who is this guy? Let's put him in the movie. <laughs> and so then he gets to hang out with like the Hollywood elites, and the socialites and stuff like that. And um, there's Val Kilmer who plays a character named Gay Perry. And is just, he's just so fucking funny in this. And so Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. become the lethal weapon duo of, uh, you know, eventually there's a murder and Val Kilmer is like a, a private detective. He gets hired by like some producer to just like basically dispose of this girl that like OD'd in one of his parties. It's like, it's very much making fun of like Hollywood parties and Hollywood like stuff, but like modern Hollywood, obviously like post nineties, Harvey Weinstein shit that like we weren't ready to talk about yet, but like, it's definitely in some of these movies. Yeah. Um, and they really didn't totally go there with like all the actual dirt. <laughs> yeah, well, you know? well, well, they couldn't. Yeah, no, no. I mean, they're never going to yeah. put the actual people in there. But like, it's just like this crazy plot that unfolds, and uh, he finds out that like one of his high school, or like his childhood sweetheart, is like tr also trying to make it in Hollywood, and so like he's trying to make <laughs> stuff work for her. And it's just a really, really funny, funny script. Uh, and you know, it's got all the all the usual things. It's got ch car chases. It's got uh, you know all kinds of these. At one point, they get a. Um, they get tied up and tortured, you know, because you got to have that scene too, uh, like in Lethal Weapon when Mel Gibson's like hanging from the thing. Uh, but I think it's it's just for sure like my favorite one of his movies, his script or whatever, and uh, the pairing of these two. Val Kilmer, obviously pre-cancer and unfortunately all of his health problems. Uh, it's just such a funny movie, and I just wish more people have seen it because the concept, like Shane Black, has has a gift for like taking some of these like kind of Hollywood type things that people like to think about like, Oh yeah, you just fucking show up to an audition and you get the movie, whatever, you know? Uh, and he just like makes it, he just adds, you know, dead bodies to it. And <laughs> I think it's really fun. Yeah. 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 His, his style is really, I feel like, so how, by, I wonder by how much he creates like Tarantino. Cause they feel like they're bosom oh, buddies by a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I mean, Tarantino was like, he wrote some stuff that sucked. Like in the late '80s, basically, he did. Um, it wasn't but, until yeah, like the early '90s that he really kind of. But yeah, they feel similar. They feel like it, feel like it feels like he, yeah, he he paved the way for someone like Tarantino to really be a superstar. One million percent. Because if you go back, yeah, and you like Lethal Weapon was '84 or something like that. Like mm -hmm. if you go back and you watch that, like most of that movie is just Mel Gibson and Danny Glover just shooting the shit, shooting the shit, yeah. Which is yeah. un, un, unheard of, you know, like in the at the time, you're even if you're making like a buddy cop movie or whatever, you're just like, what's the plot? What's the plot? Like 48 hours is another one of those movies that came yeah. out around that time that was just like, you know, I kind of like to just watch these guys hang out like they're they're fundamentally incompatible. And uh, but they're just like fun to 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 watch. So, yeah, Shane Black is is definitely like paved the way for the Tarantinos and stuff because his yeah. stuff was raunchy and funny mm -hmm. and self-referential. Yeah, because his his like his stuff is so just it pops out there. Just like yeah. you know, there's just no one else who can like just have characters that are just you love them because they just talk shit. Just because they talk <laughs> shit, yeah. And it's funny. And, and it's funny. It's really, really funny. 
It's so funny. And I just, I wish, I mean, it sucks that Shane Black got, no, it doesn't suck. I mean, he got pulled into the, he's always been in the Hollywood machine, but like he got pulled into it as like, uh, you know, like you're going to direct the next Predator and you're going to direct Iron Man 3. And it's like, okay, I well, guess, yeah. he, I guess he can do that. But uh, that was, I think that was, the Iron Man 3 was the Robert Downey Jr. kind of like paying him a favor back for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, really. Great, I guess, but. I don't know. It just doesn't. <laughs> that's that's why the movie happened. Basically, is because of this movie. I don't listen. We don't have to talk about Iron Man three. But I I think <laughs> yeah. it, I I like Iron Man three personally, but that's because I like Shane Black like a hell yeah. of a lot more than I like any of the Iron Man movies. Like the Marvel shit is just like not really my thing. But um, yeah. like with when you strip everything away, like this is the essential kind of Shane Black. Like all the isms are in it. Mm. So this, this is, is for this sure is really favorite. like I feel like his labor of love because this was another film. Again, where where another writer who had writer's block, right. he struggled to figure out how to get this film written, like in a way that he was happy with. Let mm-hmm. alone, let alone any, you know, make it good. But yeah, this is this is like a excellent film. And yeah, Robert Downey Jr. and Shane Black, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Like and and especially at the time <laughs> when you know everybody like uh, Robert Downey Jr. was like the devil. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just such like he he was the he, devil. <laughs> he he loves he just you just love him in this movie. Like he's he's basically Tony Stark already in this movie. Um, he's just a fucking degenerate. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's just it, getting the two of them together is just like again a perfect pairing, right? Yeah, Robert Downey just needs to have fast talking, funny things to say uh, about the situation, and that's that's what he was given here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Definitely underrated. That that's definitely that, underrated. That's that's an underrated one. It's yeah. very rare. Yeah. Okay, so my number sixty six uh is <laughs> going in, in a little darker direction. The Killing Fields. Oh Jesus. by Roland Joffe. <laughs> so this is about uh Paul Pot's Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Uh Paul Pot, one of one of one of the one of the great villains of the 20th century. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. this dude this dude killed killed some people. And if you look at relative to like the population, this guy is like up there with some of the worst dictators in human in in, in the history of the 20th century. Well, now that you've reminded me of Pol Pot, yeah, and like the 20th century, like crazy. It's a parade. It's a parade of, of mass murders. Concentrated. I fuck it. I can't even yeah, say that. Stalin, word. Hitler, yeah. Pol Pot. <laughs> Mao, just like Mm -hmm. over and over and over, just different countries. (laughs) Franco, yeah, it's just like, yeah, this, you know, it's kind of, kind of crazy that that was twenty years ago. That was, yeah, was the century of these kind of people, Mm -hmm. right? And thankfully, we're kind of over that. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Now we're just, yeah, the 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 war. It's cyber warfare. It's the you are the product. Now that that's the era we're in. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, to to be fair. Sort of, I mean, again, North Korea is really, really, really bad, and it means, seems like we may never get rid of that regime. And yeah. also, China, they have put the Uyghur people in actual concentration camps. Yep, 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 yep. And so it's not, I'm not, obviously not saying Oh, of course, it's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but. but the 20th century is a concentrated amount of time of mass, mass, mass murder, yeah. the likes of which hopefully humanity will never see again. Like the levels, the numbers, just the body count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is basically a, a a film trying to tell the story of what it was like in that country at that time. It is mm-hmm. harrowing shit. Mm-hmm. It is some harrowing, horrible, horrible shit. 
Um, I think I think the Paul Pot shit was it was like they just kill people with glasses or some shit like that. Like, oh, you look smart. Boom. Yeah, uh, I. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. Fucking crazy. The thing that really stands out to me, I remember there's this scene where I think it's like one of the um, Cambodian guys is like trying to escape. And so he's just out in the middle of nowhere, just trying to survive and not get caught because he'd be killed or put in a concentration camp or whatever the fuck they do people. Um, and the way he's surviving is like he he's like he goes to this cow and he like cuts it and he's like sucking on the blood just so that he can have some nourishment. And then he like has to go back into hiding. And it's like, whoa, this is this is beyond desperate. Mm-hmm. This is beyond mm-hmm. like horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this film to go there and really show that and really try to. It's amazing because, you know, there's there there's so many of these regimes don't want people to know the truth, you know, mm-hmm. or see it in any way or shape or form. It's just like, oh, well, you know, it was like some people died. It's like, no, nah, dude, this was like this is oh, some yeah. of the worst horrors that human beings can do to each well, other. Because, yeah, because it's hard to uh, you can't like you hear sometimes you hear the astronomical numbers you hear like, oh, Stalin killed, you know. You have 12 million people. You're like, oh, that sounds like a lot. Like, no, like you don't understand, you know, like you don't understand. And so every once in a while, yeah, you're right. We get a movie like this that uh, just you just kind of spend some time in that like there. And uh, even if it's just a little bit, because like you can only have such a body count in the movie, like each example is just or they conflate examples to kind of try to give you like a complete picture of like the misery. And uh, I love I, I love I love movies like this. I love movies that are just like you said. They just go there. They're just like, no, 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 no. We're not even gonna try to like sex it up in any way. Like this is just misery. Yeah, it's just horror. It's just yeah. It's just this is this is the the pinnacle of human like the the horror that human beings can do to each other when you have absolute tyranny and some guy who just decides, yeah, we're going to go back to the year zero and we're gonna wipe everything out, wipe mm-hmm. out history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. It is crazy, and it makes you, you know, it makes you realize, like, you know, we're like people are fortunate to live with actual freedom, where we, right, you know, where we're not gonna just like take people's shit to say I don't like you, I don't agree with you, so I'm gonna put a bullet in your head, or you fucking wear glasses, so I'm gonna kill you because I think that means you were someone that was opposed to me or something, or is it well, yeah, or is capable of free thought? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just, it's, it's crazy to think that there were basically people who are like our parents' age who may have lived through this or survived this. It's right? not, yeah. I mean, for uh, even for me, like, it's not even that crazy. Like, I know, like, my parents lived through the, uh, the communism, like, era just all the way through. Like, they were born and the communists yeah. were a thing. Like, they, that's what they know. So it's, it's incredible to me that they, they're not even, they're not that old, honestly. Um, they're in their you know middle-aged people like there's people who have midlife crisis uh you know and you see them driving around like they just buy a porsche or whatever and it's like yeah my parents have midlife crisis like that too and also they're able to say like oh i remember the bread lines and you're like whoa you're not even you're not even that old yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty unbelievable um and again this films like this are like because like i have no idea I, there's no one in my family who's experienced anything like this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have different, the different stuff, <laughs> you know, is our sure. problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but right. it was not, it was not, uh, it was not fucking, you know, some guy takes over the country and then he's like, yeah, we're going to start systematically killing people, reeducating people that it. And so this is the closest I can get to understanding what that was like 
in yeah. the film world. You know, I could read a book. This is the film equivalent of, of experiencing that. Yeah. And this is a good movie too. It's, it's a, it's a Vietnam movie about not, not about like the, the U S army or whatever. Like it's not from that perspective. Um, it's just about like journalists or whatever. Right. I've seen it. I saw it like once a long time ago. Um, but either way, it's, it's a really well-made movie. It's, it's made with a decent amount of budget so that you can really get to see like all of the shit that they want to show you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's, it's really effective. It's really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super. I, I need to actually rewatch this because, I, again, I saw it a while ago, but uh, this is definitely like an era of movies that I, I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's made in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, John Malkovich is in it. Uh, yeah. I think the guy was... was it was, was Mr. Incredibles in it. I know that. Yeah, uh, John Hurt. Craig, Craig T. Nelson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a good cast. Yeah. Excellent film. Um, yeah, so that's uh, my number 66 is uh, The Killing Fields. Sweet, dude. Awesome. Uh, number 65 then. Uh, I couldn't, I could not have made this list without this movie. I, it would have, I, yeah, I had to do it. I had to do it to him. I don't care. Um, it's, uh, I've watched this movie so many goddamn times, like over in it. Cause it's a recent movie. I've just rewatched it and I just cannot not enjoy watching it. And I don't get bored of it. It is a long ass movie. It's like two and a half hours. Um, 13 hours. The secret soldiers of Benghazi. Michael Bay's movie. It is, uh, I believe it's the highest rated movie of his on IMDb, but like it is for sure, like for sure, like his best kind of like most, um, how do I say this? It's like his best movie when he's not just like making Transformers or whatever. Like it's his most kind of, uh, it's like the best movie that's like about something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to say it. It's the best movie that's not just like, ah, we're just going to get Will Smith and Martin Lawrence and shoot some shit. <laughs> You know, like, ah, we're going to get Nicolas Cage and yeah. Sean Connery. That's fucking funny, isn't it? Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's the best. Like, it's executed. The execution of it matches kind of the subject matter, basically, is the point. Uh, it's not like, oh, we're going to take the story about how the uh, fucking ambassador to Benghazi gets murdered and we're going to make it a Michael Bay movie where there's, like, cars exploding every 13 seconds. Like, it takes itself very, very seriously. And it, it's like Michael Bay operating on, in a, on a level that, like, he doesn't really get to do. Um it's very fast paced. It is. Ve- it's a two and a half hour movie, and it is very fast paced. It's. Ve- it, it keeps you interested. And I'm not like a huge fan of like uh, military movies. Like I usually get really bored. Uh, movies that are like specifically about the military that are like, yeah, corporal so and so, we're gonna go and let's go, brother. And there's like all these patriotic montages and stuff. Like I usually get bored of that stuff. But this movie's not about that. It's about the squad. It's about the group yeah. of guys. And there's a lot of movies about the squad. But even then, like every single one of these guys is cast so well and they have so much chemistry with each other. Uh, Pablo Schreiber is like fucking phenomenal in this movie. Um, everybody's phenomenal in this movie. And so you get to spend a little bit of time with them and you get to see them kind of like hanging out at the camp before the shit really hits the fan. You get to see them go on like one routine kind of thing together. Um, John Krasinski famously, he's just like, I'm going to make real movies now. And so he gets yeah. really ripped for this one. Yeah. Um, it is just so like... Michael Bay's kind of strengths, I feel like, is all just kind of visual style. It's like all if everything was a 90s music video. Uh, and for whatever reason, that that works for me in this movie, even though it's like it should be more of like a Black Hawk Down thing where it's like kind of horrifying. It's horrifying, but it's so fucking stylish and it's so like interesting to watch 
the whole the whole time that you're just like kind of into it. And then it's actually at the very end of the movie, it actually is is emotional as well. Uh, and they do, you know, every true story movie, they do the thing. They show you the pictures of the original guy so that they tug on your heartstrings. Um, but this is kind of like it's a good story for Michael Bay to tell because of how much chaos was going on. Like just pure chaos, just people attacking from every angle and just like no one really knows what's happening because nobody really knows what's happening in Michael Bay movies when they're watching them. But like <laughs> it thematically works in this one. So, yeah, I think of the more kind of uh, I don't want to say restrained, but of the more like not commercially like trying to sell you toys type movies that he's making. Uh, it's definitely my favorite. And uh, I have to put it on this list. And I'm perfectly happy with putting it this high on this list because I've watched this movie four or five times with different people. Everybody I watch it with has a great fucking time watching this movie. And then they all do the research afterwards and they're like, oh, this was like a really shitty thing that happened, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah. This movie is very interesting to me. Um, so what I love is like, so there was this meme that went around for a while. It was like, you know, who who do directors act, who does ex director actually make a movie for? And then they joked, uh, Michael Bay makes movies for the defense department of defense as a joke. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of funny. So what I find interesting about this movie is like, there's okay. So there, <laughs> right. So the whole the whole idea of this movie is like, if we just let the military guys just fucking do their thing and just kill some people, right? We could have saved these guys. And and that's sort of like the thesis I think of the like the yeah, theme yeah, yeah. of this yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and like, like the bureaucracy the, is what got people killed here yeah. yeah seeing how that played out is is they make some fucking hilarious choices mm. so one of my favorite is like so there's the nerdy CIA guy right of course and so then when John Krasinski shows up the <laughs> the fucking nerdy CIA guy's like I hey, listen okay so you have to do exactly what I say you can't put and then like. <laughs> Literally out the window, out the window is the dude fucking lifting a goddamn tire. Not yeah, just like yeah, a yeah. small tire, like like the fucking tire you have on yeah. like a tractor trailer. And he's mm-hmm. lifting the tire. It's like, goddamn guy, fuck all this noise, what the hell? And then he like closes the window. Yeah. <laughs> I was just dying. I was like, what? Like, like it couldn't be any more blatantly obvious, like what they're trying to say thematically. Say. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Like, you have this yoked, ripped dude and this fucking nerd, like, hey, man, you got to do what I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, I was like, okay, Michael Bay. You know, no subtlety here. No need for subtlety. It's like fucking jack dudes. That's why you hire him. That's (laughs) why you fucking hire him, dude. So, and then, but the the actual battle is so fucking good. So well directed. It's It's amazing. It really is amazing and super riveting cinema. Yeah, you know? right, 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 right. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, because like after we get past the kind of like the pleasantries, it's it basically doesn't stop or slow down at all. It just goes on. Like I feel like an hour and forty minutes of this movie is just, you know, it ebbs and flows. But like it is just they're in constant conflict and it's exhausting. And so like and we're we're moving and we're moving around. And so that's I think that's an impressive thing to do. And uh, it is it's just so like fun to watch. I don't know. It's fun to watch, but like you don't like I don't know. It's like a horrible thing that happened, but like yeah, yay, yeah, yeah. we're shooting the bad guys, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah, he does a really good job with that sequence because there's so many different kind of moments. Like I, I remember there's this scene, so they 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 get a they get a couple waves or like a first wave or whatever, and then like a guy drives by, and they're like, "What's this guy doing?" And the guy's like on his phone, and he's like doing something on his phone, and you're oh, like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." 
is he gonna attack them? Is he gonna like call in on a fucking airstrike or something? Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and, and then they just drive away, and it's it's like you don't know. Yeah, yeah. You don't know. And every you every know, you don't know. Yeah. every every like uh, Middle East conflict, America in the Middle East movie, like had that. Like that's kind of what the whole like the Hurt Locker was about. Like everybody, yeah. you know, they're, they're watching everybody, and they're like, uh, when are we gonna get blown up?" Kind of a thing. Yeah. But uh, or like the Kingdom. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Oh, I love the Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kingdom. Like the, mm-hmm. the the last third of that movie is kind of the same thing. Right. I mean, but it's got all of the all of those anxieties are like packed in this movie. <laughs> like it's all it's yeah. just like constant. Yeah, uh, and, and then I, like I at like the that. end, like like more people come, and they're like, "What's the guy do? He like goes like this or something." He gives him some kind of signal, and then Wait, the guy gives him the signal back. So, like, some, some oh. more people come, and they, they don't know. They don't know who it is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're like, are they going to attack us? And then the guy, he, like, does some kind of hand signal, like, or something like this or whatever. And then well, the they, guy. Yeah, they're, they're waiting for, yeah, because they're guys, because they those, have some people in Benghazi that, like, are helping the Americans. Yeah, and those like, were, oh, like, no. the actual government Yeah, people. yeah, yeah. And the it relief, was like, basically. okay, the government came finally, and they're mm-hmm. going to basically back us up and now we can get the hell out of here yeah um but the, again yeah it just does so good with the tension of like when is it gonna end are they yeah. gonna make it out who knows you know <laughs> yeah 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 it's and i mean again like that's kind of what you hire michael bay to do is just to make it like as over the top but again like he's not flipping cars every five seconds uh it's just it's more of like a squad kind of like a camaraderie thing i think yeah it's like, uh, suicide like squad kind of know? yeah well like in, in that you feel like uh, whenever something happens, like one of these guys gets hurt or grazed or whatever, like you're kind of more worried about that than you are about just the action unfolding. Because most of the time, like, you know, when you're watching a Transformers movie, it doesn't really fucking matter what's going on on the screen because our protagonists are going to come out of it. You're just kind of watching the explosions. And this one I felt a little like more so than any other movie where like I, I was worried for the guys because I knew it was based on a true story. And I knew that, like, obviously people die in these things. So I was a little more worried about that. And uh, I think he did a good job with that, with like maintaining the tension for that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's certainly like again that last, you know, like once the battle takes over. Oh yeah, it's... no, seriously, like the 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 fucking, and it doesn't even take that long. Like once it starts, basically, this this movie doesn't let go. And I've just seen it so many times, and it's like so interesting to me. Like it, it just seems like such a big big production, uh, and it's just fun to watch. Like as a like for the for the story, but then also for like as a movie lover, I'm like, God damn, like that is a logistical nightmare. And I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. That. It's fun to watch other people do work, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, so, yeah, that was 65. 65. Yeah. Cool. All right. So my 65. Um, so is uh, the first Frank Capra film. We'll, we'll see some others on my list. I was waiting. I was like, yeah, where where is he? <laughs> this is uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Cool. Um, so yeah, we should probably talk about like the Capra esque, the Capra sort of worldview, the Capra version of Americanism. Mm. So he sort of paints America in these. Um, yeah, it, I, I don't know how to like it. It's 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 sort of like the way that you would imagine uh, America in in a in a sense of like what you wish it could be. It's like yeah, it's like. Um, all the all the good things that you think America can be are what Frank Capra tries to portray America as mm-hmm. in his films. You know, uh, this is a sort of a prime example of that. So, oh yeah, you know, it's about this guy, and so the backdrop is some senator died, and so they're trying to figure out 
who the governor's going to appoint and they flip a coin and it's between basically, and, and they're all corrupt, right? They're like, Oh, should I choose this corrupt guy or this corrupt guy? And then they flip a coin and it falls sort of in the middle. Um, and so then he takes it as a sign to put Jimmy Stewart in and mm-hmm. they're like, Oh yeah, well he's naive, silly guy. We'll easily be able to control him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he becomes a Senator <laughs> from a coin flip. And um, what ends up happening is like, again, he's like sort of this, this uh, emblematic of like, this American ideal of what people should be like, you know, mm-hmm. someone who wants to do good, who believes in the best in people, uh, but is also very naive. And, you know, in the film, he basically gets stabbed in the back. Um, and then it culminates in this scene. So basically some people lie about him, like this guy who was his mentor lies about him uh, because, you know, the, the, the people, the puppet masters tell him, you got to lie on this dude because uh, he's not doing what we want. And so then it, it ends with this really long filibuster. And it's like, you know, it's like one of those rah, rah America moments where mm-hmm. this guy's fighting for the right thing and he's yeah. using his power to do good. And then because of his goodness and he, he basically his naivete changes people because they're yeah. like, okay, now I actually believe like if yeah. this guy's really going to do it, this is the real thing. Then I, you know, it's like that kind of, you know, like the, they change because yeah. you see someone who's finally doing the right thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm going to do the right thing too. <laughs> I didn't realize you could think that way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> that you could do the right thing and be yeah. a politician. So I'm going to do the right thing too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, of course in the end, the good guys win and the truth comes out. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I, I love the Capra esque kind of, you know, depiction of the Americana, you know, mm-hmm, the America mm-hmm. we wish it could be. Uh, it's not, but you know, that's, I don't know. It's just, there's something very pure about it, you know? Yeah. That you're like, yeah. I wish the world could be like this. And I, I like that I can go into it's, a movie. Cause this, this is a clear good versus evil kind of thing. It's a satisfying kind of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Cause yeah. It's, it's not like he's saying, Oh, America's great. It's like, no, there's problems. Like this whole movie is about a bunch of corrupt ass people. Yeah. And this one guy but who's like trying he, to f- do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, he's able to overcome, you know, all of this craziness. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, again, I just, there's a lot of Frank Capra films that really kind of work for me. I like it. Um, you're going to see some other ones on my list and yeah, I just, it's just something about it. Just kind of, it's very, feels very warm. Warms my heart. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's the same kind of like, uh, it's like the optimist kind of, uh, ideal, idealized, like, not like in that, like everything in the movies is a, is a utopia or something, but like it, it, it it gives you kind of without any kind of wrinkles like what you would have what you would like to see like when you see the people stabbing in the back and plotting against them and they're like ah we'll just put them in because you know or fuck them you're like you you're incentivized to dislike those people and then the movie pays off on that yeah um so yeah I mean obviously that works and it works for a good reason and that's why Frank Capra is a fucking legend um because people like to see that stuff. And uh, yeah, so I mean, you can't really say anything wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very satisfying because, um, yeah. like, you know, we all know we live in a world where the good guys don't win, like, like hardly um, ever, ever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but there's something to be said that when you're good guy is Jimmy Stewart, you like extra want him to succeed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. especially at he's this just, time. He's just so fucking likable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 some good stuff, and it's that idealism, right? Mm-hmm. Because like you watch you watch a movie like this, and you're like, you remember again, you know, why you like 
believe the things you do, why you care about certain mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. the things you're willing to fight for. And, you know, again, I feel like that's a very kind of American idea, right? Yeah. Uh, this, this like thinking that it's, you know, it's good people trying to do good. And like, that's how we make change. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I love the kind of Capra-esque idealized American sort of, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, and they're, you know, it's very positive, right? It's like, there's, we're, we've talked about a lot of depressing movies. <laughs> And like these kind of movies are like you you end up. It gives you the the, the break. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You you need them. You you need them to take them with the depressing stuff. But I, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. But like I'm just like perpetually stuck in that like depressing mode. I don't know why. Uh, it gives me it, it inversely gives me like hope that like that's bleak but like you know like there's i find my own goodness and then this is just you know it's just served up and it's really well packed like really well packaged um these movies yeah Yeah. extremely well packaged um yeah yeah, to put it mildly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah that's my number 65 mr smith goes to washington got it yeah that's a such a good movie classic movie um wasn't there another one wasn't there like a there was a john ford movie Two with Jimmy Stewart, or am I imagining this? Well, they did. Uh, well, other than the the Liberty Valance, I feel like there was another one from around this time. I don't know. I whatever. It doesn't matter. Maybe yeah, because I feel like at that time he was doing he was doing like uh, he did he did he did did he do Young Mister Lincoln? Young Mister Lincoln, that's the one I'm thinking Maybe. about. Yeah, but I feel like that was that was Fonda. Yeah, right. It wasn't hit. Well, it was it, the reason I'm confusing it is because it was like these are the two movies that like get compared. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Young Mr. Lincoln is, is yeah. another, yeah, very, that's what it is. very, because yeah, that's like about Lincoln saving some guy from getting killed. As yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, um, it's again like John Ford, Frank Capra, these guys are like they kind of set this, they are like the Hollywood kind of big movie. So, uh, yeah. That's Absolutely. why I, I just I think I think of those movies all kind of together. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or um, uh, ooh, I forget the other one where he where he did about the uh, the the OK Corral, the Jet John Ford movie. Mm. Um, there's so many movies about the OK Corral. I can't think of like yeah, that I forget. One. But that yeah. that was another one where it was um, Fonda. <laughs> See, my problem is I watch too many shitty movies. So like, I'll, I'm like really interested in like what what do B horror movies from the 1940s and 50s look like that I forget yeah. what like the the reference ones are called. <laughs> yeah, let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. check it out. Look what I got. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we gotta <laughs> reload. Time to reload. Hmm. Um, man, this dude did a lot of movies. <laughs> oh, that dude is the the machine. Yeah, he's the machinist. He is the machinist. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. Oh yeah, my darling Clementine. My yeah. darling Clementine. How could we forget? That's uh, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, that's a good one. That's that's good the one with the with the fucking dancing and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, the one yeah. with the dancing and yeah, they like yeah. they like build the and you know it, it's such a it is such a classic. It's such an American America. List. It's such an America movie. Right? Yeah. They're like they're building the town and they yeah. build this dance floor. He's like, we have a dance and then they dance mm-hmm. and then and mm-hmm. then he later's got to fucking kill these people. <laughs> But that's okay because they're protecting the thing that they built. They're protecting yeah. America. That, that's yeah. what they're right. They're protecting yeah. America. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's very, very. Yeah. And it's fucking. <laughs> who is it? Yeah, one of the, one of the like super classic. Um, uh, was one of the was one of the bad guys. I forget, but he's like in all. He's a bit player in every single western mm. ever. I forget. Was it like Lee name. Marvin or something? No, I, I don't think it was Lee Marvin. 
Lee Marvin came a little later, maybe. Um. Yeah, I forget. Was it Walter Brennan? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's Walter Brennan. I think. Yeah, he's in like he's in like every like in, in the era he's in basically every good western. Hey, you know you get signed <laughs> all you get signed up for those uh those you know you work at the studio basically you're just like the bad guy. Yeah, that's how it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's him or someone like that. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Good, uh, a, a very a very fun time in film history. The mm-hmm, 30s mm-hmm. and 40s. 30s and 40s in those like ideal movies. Yeah. Um. Cool. We're on yes, to number sixty-four. We're sixty-four. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Number sixty-four. Okay, cool. We talked about this one already. Uh, in my, I believe, top ten of the twenty tens. Uh, this is Black Swan. Aronofsky's oh, yeah. Black Swan, and this is on here because again, like, it's a movie that I've seen a lot, and I've seen it with a lot of different people, and I got different reactions from all of them. But the reasons that I like it is that, well, it's an Aronofsky thing, so like, it's really, really grainy. Um, because he likes to do that. I believe he, he basically shoots everything on 16 millimeter. Pretty sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. It's black Swan. If you don't know what it is, it's Natalie Portman is a ballet dancer and she wants to get into this prestigious, you know, rendition of black Swan. And, uh, she starts to lose her mind a little bit and Vincent Castle's in it and he's a piece of shit. And, um, it's one of those like kind of more recent psychological thrillers that like really kind of hits the mark for me, like a hundred percent of the way. Um, Cause it's all about like this person's like obsession with being the best. But then you find out that like, it's, it was really like her home life that kind of fucked her up in the first place. And you know, those are the kind of uh, story beats that I, I really get, you know, maybe put a smile on yeah. my face. So, <laughs> so yeah, That's what does I, it for you? you're like, yeah, Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's not a happy. It doesn't have a happy ending. Uh, but the psychological aspect of it is really, really like it. Kind of like buries itself because, like, at first, it's it really just kind of plays as like a. It's shot very realistically, like in a kind of almost like a documentary style in the beginning. And it's like it's just kind of like about this like dance troupe, uh, and then she strikes a friendship with Mila Kunis, um, and the backstabbing that, that bitch. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think I mean, we don't get a whole lot of movies about like what it's like to be in a ballet troupe. But like, you know, people people are going to be pieces of shit everywhere. So <laughs> this is definitely uh, one of those movies. If you are interested in that world, uh, Vincent Castle in particular, I think, puts in an amazing performance in this movie because like he's always he just I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's he's got like resting sleazebag face or like if that's even a thing. But like he's always. Like, you just don't want to trust him, kind of, when yeah. you see him in a movie like this, especially when he's, like, working with, like, young girls. Like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, it's cool. But it's, like, the Natalie Portman kind of, like, character study stuff that I really like about this movie. Again, it's all shot really grainy, and it only gets grainier. Uh, and it's all about, <laughs> like, how fucking psychologically damaged she is. <laughs> yeah and i love psychologically damaged characters and i love movies that'll just like beat us over the head with like this person's like not doing well and uh yeah i don't know it's just yeah uh, we talked we talked about it certainly yeah a a lucian kind of movie because it's all about her and we Mm -hmm. get all this stuff yeah and you know 
we we see her <laughs> yeah there's just some crazy scene yeah. where like the, like and, like it's like what is is this real or is this fake exactly. like, what's going on in her head yeah he does a lot of interesting things with with like the character like eventually it's it's like a slow descent kind of a thing like we start up here and then slowly like we start to lose our minds because the character's losing their minds and so uh there's a lot of like kind of he does a lot of stuff like uh kind of film structure wise that is like what Am I watching? Like, are we in fully in fantasy land now, or are we still in the real world? Do these people exist? I don't even know. And so, it kind of puts you in the mind, the, the like state of mind of that character. Yeah, and, yeah. There's like the scene where like Mila, Mila Kunis is like having sex with a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A demon? Uh, is it him? Is it? Is it? Is it fucking Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah. Like, there, there, there couldn't, mind. there couldn't be a more like Lucian uh, tailored like yeah. psychological type Absolutely. thriller like i just i just love that kind of shit yeah right director right actress right pretty much type of genre yeah yeah, absolutely. yeah he was he was ready for it she was ready for it um natalie portman like was ready for these types of more complicated roles and so yeah it just it just kind of all fits for me and i again i've seen it so many goddamn times i love it the scene where she's peeling her fingernails off is just like a it's it's a favorite of mine because it always gets a like a reaction out of people yeah. one way or another uh, so yeah, it's a fun one for me. I there's love just there's just so much stuff because like I remember there's like a scene that kind of really sticks to me. Like she's in a cause it's in New York, and so she's in the subway, and there's oh, just some like yeah. the Russian guy or something, and he's he's you know being a scumbag, mm -hmm. and but that's like the beginning of the descent, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can see how it's like, man, this world is like it's it's yeah, it's it's it's. I it's always like movies. I always like movies. I don't know if it's a noir thing, but I like movies where like the world is the real world, but it's like the film version of that world. It's like the the sleazy version of that world where like, yes, it's New York City and everybody knows what New York City looks like, but it's like we only get to see the dirty, sleazy stuff and we don't get to see anything else. And I love that it, it creates like an alternate version of these real locations or these real settings that makes, you know, they're like. Again, they're just like the fucked up versions of them because that stuff exists in the real world, but there's a lot of other stuff. And I like movies that only focus, I guess, on the stylized, dirty, gritty aspects of some of these locations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I like it a lot. I like it, yeah. And Aronofsky is such an interesting director because like, you know, when he talks about, you know, making these films, like he's, he's, he says he never like approaches them from a genre perspective, just tries to kind of blow up the genre. Mm -hmm. And so he's just kind of doing, cause like, is this a horror film? Is this a thriller? Is it a psychological horror thriller? Is it all I think of it's, them? I think it's right. But like at a hundred, I think it like in the mode, it's like works primarily as a thriller, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to see the way he approaches film. Yeah. Um, cause I saw, uh, I think it was this one in the wrestler I saw uh, of his and I was just like, what a what a what a weird filmmaker! Like, what else has he done? And then I saw *Requiem for a Dream*, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So he's yeah. got like he has like ideas, and then he makes those movies. Got it? <laughs> he wants yeah, to he's, talk about he's, it. yeah, he's 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 amazing. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, so my number sixty four is uh, *No Country for Old Men*. The Coen Brothers, Roger Deakins, Cormac McCarthy, everything comes together to create this. Uh, sort of neo-revisionist western hard to hate masterpiece yeah yeah uh this this is a film so like this this year in particular i think it was came out in like 07 mm -hmm. 06 07 this was a really kind of important year for me in terms of film because like i saw this i saw um like a film i'll talk about in a couple uh in, yeah. in this save this part the, of our yeah, yeah yeah save the mystery <laughs> um 
The Fall. There's just a lot of films like like um, Jesse James, the assassination of Jesse James. Yeah. Yep. That just all uh, kind of gone, gone Baby Gone. I don't know if you were into that one, but yeah, yeah. I was into that one. Um, yeah. That all like really kind of worked in it, but they were all very different. But they were all very artistic, and it was just like. And, but they're all kind of like American Hollywood films. And it's mm-hmm. like really kind of, for me, showed me a different take on film in general. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking I know um, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and this one really kind of, this was one, again, I kind of had to think, I realized I like it more than I thought. Because like at the time I watched it, I was like, yeah, that's good. It's really good. Um, I like it a lot. Um, but now I'm like. This film to me is extremely special and it's, it is definitely one of the greatest of all time. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's just so everything about it. It's beautifully shot. You know, again, a great Roger Deakins shot film. <laughs> um, it's so brutally violent. Like it is violent. I mean, the, this Anton Chigurh character, again, is one of the great villains of all time. This guy is just, and, and again, that's, that's, they channel McCarthy so well because this is sort of an archetype, I think, in some of his work. Is there's this almost like a personification of death, this mm-hmm. this relentless force. Yeah, and that's what he's channeling is is almost like this relentless force, the inevitability of death. Mm-hmm. This guy is coming and he's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you cannot defeat him, um, but you could run away and delay the inevitable, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> which is basically mm-hmm. what we find at the end of the film, mm-hmm. where you know the Tommy Jones character is like, I just can't, couldn't, couldn't face him. And I, I have to walk oh, away. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that ending so much because this is such a pop kind of a movie. Like it's the Coen brothers, like you said. You got Tommy Lee Jones and Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem and like everything. You know, Roger Deakin. Like it's it's a it's a big theater movie. You know, it was advertised like ah, it's just this crazy western, whatever. It's like this killer is chasing this guy and he's found a bag of money or whatever the fuck. You know, and yeah, it's just like that's the classic pulp kind of it's right. western setup. But the ending right. is so unsatisfying, and I love that. Like in the traditional way, like you you expect all the all the things to be tied together. You expect and, the showdown, like they they build right. it up to the showdown. There's two showdowns, right? So yeah. Shiger and the the other character, whatever the Josh Brolin character. The, the, yeah, the guy that doesn't have he gets killed by some random ass people, and he's mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy Lee Jones, like, oh, okay, Tommy Jones is going to. Right, like someone, like something. No, nah. He just like and then and then even with Anton Chigurh, he meets with with uh, his wife or whatever the um, Brolin's wife, and he Mm -hmm. just kills her. And we see him like fucking wipe some blood off his shoes or whatever, and he gets run over by a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He gets run over by a car. It's like what? You know, it's just all of it. All of it really kind of yeah, but it feels real, right? Mm -hmm. That's real life. In exactly. real life, you don't face down the sugar. It's in, or at the very least, yeah, it's not like a big kind of operatic or like a cinematic moment. Like the those moments don't really happen in real life, or like ever. So that's what I that's what I like about it. Is just like the, the they had the balls to just. I mean, it's in the story, but like to end a movie that way to just be like, yeah, it's over now. Like we just basically ran out of film. If you were watching, if you were going to watch it for another hour, you would just watch this guy eat breakfast <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And there's just so many like scenes that are just so well done. Like the way they use silence and all the action. Oh yeah, yeah. Like that scene when um Josh Brolin knows Sugar is coming for him at that like apartment or whatever. Motel room. Yeah, it's like a motel room. I think he goes downstairs or something. Like the dude at the front desk is dead and then he goes back into his room and he's just waiting and you see like the light in the keyhole. 
yeah. and the thing fucking shoots out at him and he's like shit he shoots it back and he jumps it's just it's just so well done so well done this seems to me like it would be quentin tarantino's favorite movie of the last decade or something like it just seems like something he would really really like you know he did a list of his favorite movies from it was like 25 from like 1990 oh he did he did did, yeah he did like 1990 to like 20 i don't know maybe like mid 2010s Mm, okay um i forget what was i know what i remember was unbreakable was on it that's what i remember the most unbreakable Uh, yes or like the Shyamalan movie the Shyamalan movie yes cool i know unstoppable was on it (laughs) i like that movie too well these are two separate lists i'm talking about like he this was this was not the decade list that he this is the this is this this was was before that before that okay before that interesting um but yeah i i i i I, that's where i think that film would have been if he were to list it uh, but yeah, I don't know. It it does feel very Tarantino esque, like even the way people talk and the violence. The way and, he, right, right, right. The yeah. kind of like uh, subverting your expectations, but like in a fun way, <laughs> not yeah, in a shitty kind way. Of, kind of the yeah, exactly, in a non shitty way. Um, yeah. Kind of the narr- It is more of a traditional narrative, but it does get splintered at the end because there's so many like narrative kind of dead drops where it's like you're not mm-hmm. going to get a conclusion that you want. Mm-hmm. It's like the end of his story arc is he just he got killed by some random people. I just think that's of, a you know. really cool ballsy thing to do. I just that's yeah. what the if nothing else like uh, technically like craft wise this movie is unfuckwithable. Like again like the the way that they use the silence and the editing and some of the camera movements and stuff and like just to build that tension. Yeah. Uh, like that scene and the writing is impeccable too. Like you know the oh, scene yeah. where. He's talking about the, you know, flip a coin, whatever, oh, yeah. like that oh. whole thing. Yeah, like it's it's so good. Like it's got kind of everything working for it. Yeah, it's it's so it's such a great it is a amazing film. Yeah. It's an amazing, I, amazing, amazing film. I feel like it's required viewing <laughs> for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah, and just just like so brutal. Like the Sugar character is so brutal. Does not hold back. Like basically we see this dude at the opening of the film. He gets arrested. He chokes some guy out, kills him, gets steals his car, finds some other guy. And then again, the fact that he's using a cattle prod to kill people, it's like, what? And the way they set that up, like, you know, don't tell us anything. It's like, oh, yeah, just stand there and then like kills the guy. I'm sorry. He just did what to this guy? It's a weapon. Using using what? <laughs> and and again, like he they make him hella mythical in this movie because like the bunch of the shit he does is not really possible, but. You know, he's a stand-in for this this sort of idea of the inevitable. Yeah. You know, the death <laughs> that's mm-hmm. all coming for us. Mm-hmm. And the question is, will you are you gonna run at it or are you gonna run away? Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> or you just better hope he just kind of like misses you. Yeah. Like he'll get he'll get to you, but you just kind of hope he's like you know gets hit by the ca- a car on the way or something. Yeah, and then he's diverted. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're you're dead if he's coming yeah. for you. It's over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's even there's even like a scene where someone is asking about Shigur and it's like Woody Harrelson. He's talking about him and it's just a perfect, like he's describing Anton Shigur, like mm-hmm. who he is and like mm-hmm. what he is. And he's like, Hey, what was his name? Sugar? Uh, you mean Shigur? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Dude, yeah. I love it. That movie is, this movie is so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty flawless, honestly. Yeah. Definitely my favorite Coen brothers movie. They have a lot of good ones. They have a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even know what my favorite is. I'd have to think about that for a while. Probably Fargo, honestly. But yeah, I mean, it's just uh, ever like all the elements for me just like are perfect in this one. Like the 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 script, the story, the way that they did the script, uh, everything is just yeah. Yeah, 
and you know McCarthy's like there's been a lot of attempts to do his work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at one point we talked about the, talked about the Scott, counselor. Yeah. The counselor. Yeah. Um, it's hard to kind of get the ideas to work. Yeah. Because there are a lot of similar themes, even when, like with the counselor, like there's a character who's not really like exactly like Sugar, but kind of has the same kind of placeholder, you know, like this 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 thing, this entity that this <laughs> almost yeah. yeah, it's a force like a person that's a force that's destroying their way through the, mm-hmm. the narrative, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um and so, yeah, they t- it, it's hard to translate his stuff. And it, he purposely has these endings, right, that don't feel fulfilling. But they made that work. They made yeah. that stuff yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's impressive. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my number, what are we at, 64? 60, that's your 64. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty untouchable movie. Yeah. Um, my number 63, I love it when there's like a, uh, some kind of a theme or like we end up looping back to some of the things that we talk about within the same kind of 10. I love that. It feels good. We were talking about like self-referential stuff or satirizing stuff. Uh, and we talked about Michael Bay already. So uh, number 63 is going to slot right in there. Uh, it's hot fuzz. Edgar yeah. Wright's hot fuzz. It's by a country mile and a half. My favorite Edgar Wright movie. I think the best movie he's ever made, but I'm very, very biased because the only thing that I really like in life is like shitty action movies and like fucked up psychological movies. It's like, you just pick one basically. And uh, this movie just happens to be a, uh, uh, like a shitty action movie. Uh, but, oh wait, no, it's, it's just making fun of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so like Edgar Wright is one of those directors that is so like over, overflowing with talent and uh, ideas and um, visual ideas and and stuff like that and just in the editing and how to kind of keep us moving and show us new stuff. Uh, Hot Fuzz is like the fucking it's like the perfect movie for me because there's multiple points in this movie where they'll they'll, they'll openly talk about like you know Bad Boys Two or Point Break and it's like it is a love letter to all of those things. And uh, they do, they end up doing all of those things in the movie. Uh, they end up having their like bad boys two shootout at the end. They have the moment where, you know, the son can't shoot his father. So he like fires up in the air. Like they, yeah. they, they, they lampoon all of those things. Um, but the script is, I mean, it's always funny with Edgar Wright um, with like at least these types of movies. Uh, these guys are like the perfect. I mean, if you're going to make a buddy cop movie, then like, obviously these are the two guys, right? Uh, for for like a Edgar Wright, uh, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg thing, like yeah, okay, put him in a buddy. Like, what are we gonna do next? Put him in a buddy cop movie. This is the buddy cop movie. Uh, the first one was the zombie survival movie. This is the buddy cop movie, and uh, so it's it's a very kind of a simple setup. You know, he's got this guy who just like cannot turn off his brain, and uh, he's like all about the job. And uh, he basically they, the, the police department in London is like, well, you're fucking too much shit up. Like you're you're arresting too many people. You're doing call, giving us too much paperwork. We need to just like put you somewhere. So they send him off to this village that nobody gives a shit about where there is no crime. And so this guy is incessant. So he finds this. He like unearths this great giant conspiracy that <laughs> these people have yeah. been like doing, holding on to for years, decades, whatever. Uh, everybody in this movie is so great and they're so funny. Uh, Timothy Dalton in this movie is so fucking stellar. He runs a supermarket, but like obviously they know when they cast him that he was a James Bond. So like they give him like all of the fucking like swagger that comes along with that in this movie. It's just a really, really, really fun movie. And the the kind of like 
the way everything pops off at the end, we get there's like a really 20, 25 minute long shootout in this town where they just blow the entire thing up. Like there's there's mystery, there's intrigue, there's like a lot of kind of like those uh, 80s kind of movies that we were talking about where there's like a lot of plot stuff. There's a lot of like uh, having to unravel this like law and order kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, by the end of it, everything just gets blown up and it's like the most mm-hmm. cathartic thing. And uh, I think Edgar Wright's visual style is like pretty just untouchable. Uh, like Michael Bay, like Michael Bay has his own style, but it's very like like when it comes to doing other scenes like you know the dialogue scenes and stuff like he is incapable of subtlety uh edgar wright is just he understands that he understands it's part of the genre and so this movie is like very quick-witted uh and uh there's a lot of i mean british humor in particular like if you're into british humor and you like kind of understand some of the stuff is it's just stellar so i don't know i i could talk about hot fuzz all day i love hot fuzz yeah it's excellent it's a really good one um he's 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 a really talented guy great writer very sharp direction and yeah yeah i mean it's just like like you said it's just a hilarious premise getting these two guys together in a buddy cop movie it yeah it's just like okay you told me <laughs> yeah and and by the time you start to figure out like how deep the rabbit hole goes in this like town it just <laughs> it gets so ridiculous and over the top but like the uh the drama of it kind of pulls you in like the bromance between these guys is so strong and it's it's almost like i mean they you could swap out one of them you know you could make nick frost a woman and it would be the greatest love story of all time <laughs> yeah <laughs> like if they were going for that uh, you know, for that kind of like rom-com or something, but yeah, it's such a great movie. Um, yeah. It's just, I really love the fact that it's so referential to like all these other, you know, but that's, that's why, that's why it's so it. high up on my list because yeah. like I, I devour those types of movies and like, I understand. And especially coming from, again, like growing up in Europe, all we like the, the, the kind of the way that you perceive, Hollywood is like through or like American culture is through some of these movies. And this movie kind of nails that like from a British perspective, cop movies should just be this or like stories about cops or like Nick Frost has a lot of moments in the movies. Like, so how many people have you shot? How many people have you killed? How many of this and that? Like, do you ever see you ever kill someone? You ever watch like a partner die? It's like shit that you wouldn't ask a a person because those are all terrible things. Uh, but he's coming at it from the angle of like, I just watch movies and I yeah, just like, this yeah. is, we're in the movies, right? Uh, it's just, it's fun for me to like see somebody make that movie essentially that is just taking it all in. Yeah. The homage. That's also a comedy. That's yeah. also like doing. It's also like, like a satire almost like or lampooning yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, again, we, at the end, we get that massive scene with these blow up the whole town. It's like, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, we get it, and it's like he's very like consciously trying to make it as Michael Bay as possible, and it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, he's got a lot of really great films for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like every time I watch Scott Pilgrim, I'm just like, human beings made this. Yeah, like it's just so like so much is happening. Like every single second, there's so much visual stuff going on. I'm like, it it, it almost makes me feel like those like they used to like hand paint you know, movie frames back in the day, like the George Melier stuff. It's just like, it's like that, but with action. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Um, all right. So yeah, so that was your number 63. So mm-hmm. my number 63, we're going back to Mr. Boonwell. Uh, this ah. is a film, Viridiana. And so again, this, this is more just lampoonery. <laughs> Good. Awesome. So there's a theme to this whole episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. More lampoonery. So based, so, 
let me see if I, how I can explain this one. So, uh, Viridiana is a woman who's, uh, she's going to become a nun, take her final vows. And before she does that, she visits her uncle, uh, because, you know, her, this person said, oh, you got to go visit your uncle before you do that. Uh, some crazy shit ensues, right? So I think the uncle tries to have sex with her or something like that. I expected um, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she says no, he kills himself. Um, and Did so not then, expect that. Yeah. So then the Viridiana and her like cousin inherit this house. Um, and so then they're like living at the house and, but then more hijinks ensue. So then they leave to go do something and some people bust in their, bust in their house and start like stealing shit. And, but then they're like, well, why don't we just eat all their food and get drunk and do whatever. So then all these people are getting drunk and then it's like, they, they do this thing where they imitate the last supper to take a picture. And so again, you see all this, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, he's just, he's just like, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're starting to paint the picture. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, it's, it's more, you know, what, what at the time they call blasphemy basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but making fun of religion, making fun of the church, making fun of all this other stuff. And so then at the end of the movie, Verdiana and her cousin come back and then these people are there and they kind of threaten them. Uh, I forget how, but that resolves itself. But then, basically, at the end, the the movie ends with some. Uh, it's it's a, it's an implied uh, threesome between the cousin and some other person. And so that's yeah. <laughs> but I, think I, I already like it. Basically, she's like, "Yeah, I'm not going to be a nun anymore, and so I'm going to have a threesome." Like that's that's the that's the punchline to this joke. Oh, that son of a bitch going after religion like that. Yeah, I know. So, um, so this was an interesting quote that. Uh, Boonwell had about this film said, I didn't deliberately set out to make a blasphemous film. Uh, but then, uh, Pope John the 13th is a better judge of such things than I am. So Whoa. the Pope didn't like the movie. Um, shock. <laughs> yeah. So again, this is just like what he does. And like, these movies are just, they're absurd. They're surreal. They're hilarious. There's actually really a lot there. Cause like, you know, he does all these references to like, you know, like not everyone would get the, um, the last supper kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to like kind of be keyed into the religious iconography to like get the joke. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the easiest uh, shit for me to understand. <laughs> yeah. I think there was another one too. It was like they, they were, they were destroying stuff and then they played uh, part of uh, uh, Hadney's Messiah, that uh, part piece of music. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's just like lampooning. <laughs> religion (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's it's some good stuff like it's it's hilarious it's surreal it's like kind of like wait what (laughs) Um, yeah this sounds like uh it's it's got a little bit of that dream logic going on there like a lot of surreal stuff like when you started to kind of like you when you start to describe the plot like in chronological order it starts to kind of show like it's just like we're not in the real world and I, i like that stuff yeah we're not in the real world it's just like We'll, yeah. we'll have a series of vignettes to make points and mm-hmm. it's just about making jokes that you know like different punchlines to yeah i definitely this is definitely like i'm probably gonna i'm gonna add this to my watch list because this sounds like something yeah. i would like yeah and again like this guy this is just what he did this is how he you know and this is like the 60s um so mm-hmm. this and like the exterminating angel i think were made around the same time so mm-hmm. he's just like he's lampooning the church. He's lampooning the government. He's making fun of these institutions. Yeah, people yeah, are yeah, clutching yeah, yeah. their pearls. Like, oh my god, how could you? How could you have a nun have a threesome with her cousin? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. But it's, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of funny because like now people would be like, okay, whatever. But at the time this is like, this is, this is unbelievable. Unbelievably blasphemous. Yeah. I, I have family members who are still stuck in the 1960s. Like this is unbelievably blasphemous. Yeah. 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 So like, um, it, it, he's, he's an absolute master of the craft. Uh, he uses his mastery to lampoon <laughs> basically society. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this is some good stuff. There's some good films. I really like this one too. Cool. Very cool. That's a good recommendation for me. I'll check that one out. Yeah. He's cool. got a lot of good ones. He's got, um, but yeah, these were like some, probably my favorites so far. Mm -hmm. um, I think these are the only films we'll see of him, of his on my list, but yeah, these are like my favorites that I've seen. Cool. Awesome. Well, are we, are we good? Yeah. On? 62. 62. All right. Almost there. Uh, bring yeah. it home. 62. Oh boy. Yeah. This is, this is one of, for sure. One of my favorite filmmakers. He's a, he's a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, down. He's a downer of a guy. Um, but I fucking love this movie. Uh, number 62 is Lars von Trier's dancer in the dark. And which mm -hmm. is funny because I generally despise musicals. Uh, like, I mean, I really, really like with the, with furious anger, I hate musicals. I just don't put a musical on. I don't even give a, I don't give a fuck if it's the sound of music or singing in the rain or like one of those like really good ones, like watchable ones. I don't want to see them. It just pisses me off. I hate it when they break out and sing, sing and dance. And even the Lion King, I have to skip the fucking music bits. I just don't <laughs> like musicals. I'm serious. I just don't like musicals. That said, uh, the backdrop of this movie is Bjork is a single mother, a Czechoslovakian single mother who moves to America in the 1960s and is uh, has this uh, probably ideas put in her head from like Frank Capra movies or whatever, where we're going to go to America and we're going to I'm going to be able to, you know, make a better life for my son here. The 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 kick is that she <laughs> this is such a Lars von Trier thing. She has a genetic disease that is going to make her blind by the time she's like. I don't know, 30 or something. And the kid also has it. And it's inoperable if the kid is older than like 13 or something. So oh, yeah. the whole part, the whole point of this is they make, they move to America so that she can make some money mm -hmm. uh, to save up money for the surgery, to get the surgery done for her son before he gets too old so that he doesn't lose his sight. And she's already kind of like, all right with going blind. It's, it is what it is kind of a thing. Uh, Catherine, uh, Catherine Deneuve in this is in this movie. Um, she's amazing. Uh, a couple of like really good uh, like European actors in this movie. It is it's done at the tail end of the Dogma ninety five era, so it is shot on DV, and so for like preservation, that kind of sucks because this movie looks like ass, <laughs> and there's it like, looks nothing, like ass. It looks like ass, and there's nothing you can do about it. But on the other hand, it fits because obviously he did it that way on purpose, and uh, it kind of adds to the griminess and the shittiness of the situation. It's he it doesn't paint a bleak world necessarily it just paints like a really bleak situation for these people and they're kind of just fucked because it's a genetic disorder and it's, it's fucked and the whole thing with the musical is that she the only thing that gives her joy in life like at all is musicals she loves musicals and she got to be uh i don't remember exactly but like she gets to be in like a, a theater production of a musical and uh, that's another way to like sneak in the bjork part of it where you know because she can actually sing um Maybe it's because I like Bjork. I generally like like the weird, bizarro, like European shit <laughs> um, more than I more a hell of a lot more than I like the optimistic, happy-go-lucky, singing in the rain American shit. I hate that shit so much. It's so saccharine, and I just hate it. 
La La Land is filth. Anyways, <laughs> that's my opinion. Thanks for coming in my TED Talk. But um, no, I like Dancer in the Dark because it, it turns it it is depressing, but like <laughs> in a yeah. way, it's like one of the more hopeful Von Trier movies, if there is such a thing. Uh, but at the end of the movie, like we basically the audience goes blind uh yeah. with her and it's it's just it's a fucking downer of a movie it's but a there's downer. a couple there's a couple points in the movie where like you know you can kind of see like artistically like he's doing things that he doesn't you know he's he, he's taking some liberties like there's parts where like they break out in the song uh but it works as like a psychological thing for the character like that that to me makes more sense because it's contextualized that way than just like breaking out into the song for the fuck of it um so yeah, but uh, I like the griminess of it. Uh, I like the kind of like depressing angle of it. Uh, I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was just like really fucking sad. Uh, but um, the more I watch it, the more kind of like I find the the kind of good in it. Because Bjork, I don't know, Bjork is a is a I don't it's an anomaly of a human being. Like I don't understand Bjork. I don't think anybody understands Bjork. Um, but she has this like childlike kind of quality. Uh, so it, it, I, I think for me, she makes the movie cause like she makes it bearable, which is, I think is the point. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. I really like Dancer in the Dark because I like depressing movies. Uh, and I like Von Trier movies, uh, because, you know, he's one of the forefathers of like, I want to show you more stuff. <laughs> They're not showing you enough stuff. I really want to fucking make you hurt as an audience member. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like this movie a lot. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, I remember I, I saw this like the first time for some class at DVC. Oh, uh, okay. Showed, yeah, for real. Like someone showed it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I liked it at the time. Uh, her performance is great. Her performance is really good. Really good. Um, yeah, it's a depressing one. But uh, yeah, but oof, man, that DV stuff. I'd, I'd love to see like like them do the, the shitty... <laughs> You know, use the AI to like make it 4K. I'd love to see what how god awful that would look. <laughs> you, you can't really, you can't really. I I tried with some of the stuff that I had, some of the footage that I have. Uh, like I shot some stuff on like a shitty digital camera, like in 2007 or six or something like that. It all it really does. I mean, at least right now, unless you're using, I guess, hundred million dollar equipment, all it really does is just kind of like smudge things up because there's like there's just. <laughs> There's just simply not enough detail in the frame to to reconstruct anything. All it really sees at a certain point is just like more of the same color of things because everything is so fucking blurry that it just sees it as like a color. So the AI can't like basically what I'm trying to say is like the, the because I looked into the technical specs the, this was shot on a camcorder. I've shot things on camcorders. Uh, you just, you don't, the, this is unfixable. Uh, whatever the 35 millimeter print was that they made for theaters is like the best it's ever going to get. And so you just have to take it. And, uh, I, again, like, I think it, it fits with the kind of griminess of what eventually happens in the story. Uh, but, uh, it's just, it's, it's a shitty looking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it fits uh, the story. Yeah. In my opinion. It does fit the story. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's good. Yeah. The performance and guess what? Her sight is deteriorating the whole time. So 
If you if she can't see anything, you can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, this is what her world looks like—a fucking DV camera from what was it, two thousand? Yeah, probably earlier. They well, he probably like you know he seeked probably like the shittiest equipment he could find. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like the it's it's like a Scandinavian thing though. Like black metal used to be recorded on like they would like put a microphone through and like guitar amp and then like record through that and like just make it as shitty as possible for the effect. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a good film. It's a, it's a, yeah, I, I, uh, it definitely stuck with me. Her performance is good. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's very, I think it's, very it's, it's an interesting one. I think it's, it's definitely one of his best movies, for sure, one of his best movies. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, but depressing. Uh, but that's, that's how I like him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's like the perfect, like the perfect Lucian. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of, yeah. Delivery. It, 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 it fits in the yeah. It absolutely like fits in the in the montage of whatever whatever my yeah. Like, just like sad, depressing like. endings, melancholia, and this and like some <laughs> yeah. other, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like yeah, and then we die. <laughs> and exactly, I love that stuff. <laughs> and oh, but but shit. maybe it also like contextualizes a little bit like the the very strong hatred I have for like happy upbeat musicals because <laughs> this is a it's a it's a musical but in the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for me, my number sixty-two. Uh, again, this one, um, another from the two thousand six, six two thousand seven era um, that I've sort of had to reassess and see that I've liked it a lot more than I, you know, thought at the time when I first saw it. So this is "There Will Be Blood," Paul oh, Thomas nice. Anderson film. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, this is a really, really, really great film. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like Down Day Lewis is unbelievable unbelievable in this movie unbelievable and well dano is actually really good too because like you know he has to actually be opposite this like paul dano is one of the most underrated actors in my opinion interesting story about this film so paul dano was not the first choice for the character he played um it seems like they kind of pussyfoot around it but basically it seems like whoever they cast at first just couldn't handle being across from dan day lewis yeah (laughs) he couldn't handle it and so they had to let him go unfortunately you blame him yeah. Uh, well, yeah, especially when it's a guy who's always in character and like he's never, and so he's he's probably just oozing intensity at you, especially mm-hmm. with the way that this character is and the stuff that you know they they have to do. Like, man, that that scene when you know they baptize him or whatever, it's like fucking. Oh yeah. That's like yeah. That's that's like that's like acting like out of the ether. It's just like if mm-hmm. you said, "What is acting?" That yeah. scene comes out and it's like. It's like, whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And this this film is like what's so beautiful. So it's 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 very poetic, very kind of lyrical. Um <laughs> it's so beautiful. And it's it's you could kind of like the the theme of it is so kind of apparent too, like like you know, this guy, the Dan Day Lewis character, he's like the stand-in for the American sort of capitalist, you know. He's this like I mean, at the beginning of the film, we see him basically just like he, he's 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 got nothing. He's got nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He almost dies in this freaking place. He um he like drags himself to like the nearest <laughs> yeah way yeah. station, and then he's like he he gets a little bit of oil. He turns yeah. that into some money, and he turns that into an empire. Basically, to not yeah to to make sure that you understand the like rags to riches thing we're going for here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this guy and that scene is brutal too. I I so I watched this again recently, and I. I feel like secretly this is so like a lot of people have said, oh, I'd love to see, you know, who would you love to see make, make an A24 horror movie? Mm. And like his name comes up all the time. I feel like this is the movie. Yeah. This is it. 
I think so. This is yeah. this is basically a horror movie because like at the beginning of the movie, he's doing his thing and he falls and it's like boom and his fate go to black and then he like wakes up and he's hurt and it's like whoa. There's so many moments in this movie that are actually really horrifying. A bunch of murders. There's a scene I'll almost never forget. Now that I think, the more I kind of thought about it, it's like super fucked up. Like the guy, they wake him up like, oh, there was an accident, and then they show a no. flash of it. Like the fucking thing hits this guy in the head. And that's real. Like that happened to people. Like that shit is fucking dangerous. And it's like so scary. You're in a fucking hole. You're in a hole in the ground. Yeah. And then there's some accident and you're just dead. Yeah. Because this piece of machinery hits you in the head. Like, whoa, yeah. like that, that kind of, that kind of really. It like sobers you up a little bit. <laughs> it kind of makes you like, man, and I'm complaining about, you know, some shitty retail job. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's, that's fucking scary. And like, people uh, still do that today. Like so, oil movies and like movies about miners i just like oh oh oh, oh, yeah no yeah (laughs) and then you know so like he's the the capitalist and the paul dano character is like religion and america is these two things coming together Mm -hmm. (laughs) i yeah i i fuck i want to love this movie so much more than uh uh, i already do i like i like this movie a lot like i want to love this movie and paul thomas anderson just like always rubs me the wrong way in the same way that like um What's his name? Fucking the other arty guy that came out of the nineties, um, Luke Wilson, uh, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Uh, like in the same way that like I just get rubbed the wrong way. Like Paul Thomas Anderson at least like does tries like different things. Like I'm gonna make a movie about this and this and this and this. Uh, but it, I, I don't know. It's a it's a great fucking movie. But like it's a little like the overall like the the, the poeticism of it, whatever you want to call it, like the overall theme of it is just a little too on the nose for me. But Daniel Day Lewis, just you just put him in a thing, and like I'm there because I'm such a proponent for acting. Um, God damn, what a fucking guy, dude! What a perform, like not the actor, but like this character, like what a guy. <laughs> this character is like this character, this character is like out of out of just out of the ground American. Like it's so yeah, I know it's such a great it's such a great <laughs> character. Yeah, because he's such a ruthless, mm-hmm. fucking backstabbing like scummy because know, finds a kid and he's like, yeah, I'm going to use him to make money. And just, everything in his world is about money. Yeah. Money, money, money. And, and if you ever, if you come, if you try to, you know, snap back at him for anything, it's just like, well, I earned my place scum. You're not there yet. And it's just, it is like the American capitalist oh, thing. Yeah. I love oh, it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I just, I just, I really like this movie. There's, there's, you know, there's, you know, the great line at the end. I drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. When he like gets him back for that fucking like he never got over that shit when he made him uh, say he was a sinner. Yeah, you know? is that the he kind of guy over. who would get over that? Nah, never, never. Yeah, yeah, never yeah, gets yeah. over anything. Um, yeah. I feel like what's interesting too is like there's one person the character respects too. It's the twin brother who like uh, mm, makes mm-hmm. the money. His other like like the the honorable, the honorable way, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to suffer as much, if not more, than I've suffered to like get any kind of like word in. Yeah, yeah, I I love it. I I love this film. Um, I think it's really beautiful. Yeah, there's a lot I of think, great performances. Like I never even thought about it, but like it's for sure like the the horror like avant garde kind of like a at least societal kind of horror i don't know i don't know what you'd call it just but. like just like think of like like he does multiple murders right he murders the guy who says he's his brother there's that scene in the when the thing falls on the dude's head that's that's fucking scary to me 
And then the movie ends with him doing another murder. He murders Paul Dano. Just beats him in the head with a fucking like, like <laughs> with a bowling pin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Viciously beats him in the head with a bowling pin, and we see the blood. I'm finished, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's certainly like if you release this today as an A24 movie, they'd be like, "Oh my god, this is the greatest!" Like, like literally, people would say this is the greatest horror movie of all time. I swear, they would say that. You would see mm-hmm. people saying, "Paul Thomas Anderson directed mm-hmm. the greatest horror movie of all mm-hmm. time." You would mm-hmm. absolutely hear people saying that. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> because there's so many like horror-ish elements. There's it's not the jump scares, right? It's just no. It's just a he. He's. It's. I mean. It's a monster movie of of a different kind. <laughs> but he's the monster. You yeah, know? he's the monster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the capitalism is the monster, right? What it does to people. And uh, again, that's that. Yeah. That's when I start to be like, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. yeah. What a what such insight. Incredible. What a great filmmaker. But, yeah. But that's just you know. I mean, I can say that because I'm not Paul Thomas Anderson. He's an incredibly yeah. successful guy for a reason. Yeah. 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 I just, I, you know, there's so many, and like the scene when the well goes on fire, that scene's so beautiful. Yeah. And like, there's some, like, vi- like visually, there's some like really standout moments in this too. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, I don't know, you might probably would like that shot. Like when they, they like zoom back and like you see him and it's zooming and then you see the thing that's on fire. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And then they oh. blow, they blow it up and it uh, takes out the fire. Yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, that's my number 62. There will be blood. That's a great ass movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, number 61 then. We made it. We made it. Take a breath. We made it to the end. Yep. Number 61 is... Uh, God, I love this movie so much. I love... I think we talked about... Um, like, I like what, kind of like simple premises. Like, uh, when we're talking about like Red Rock West, it's just like Nicolas Cage is a drifter. He ends up in a town and then he gets mistaken for an assassin. And then fucking Dennis Hopper it turns out to be the assassin. Like that's all I really need. <laughs> this movie is is that, but it's a classic. Uh, number sixty one for me is First Blood. Is Drifter ends up in a town uh, looking for his buddy. Oh, his buddy died. Okay, whatever. I want to go to grab a bite to eat and I'll move on. And th- these cops just fucking pester it. They just won't. Th- and how fucking topical is that? But like they just yeah, won't right. leave him alone. And it's like. It, it it has a layer to it. I mean, obviously, it was made when it was made, but uh, uh, Rambo is a Vietnam vet, and so it has that uh, kind of edge to it, where like we're gonna disrespect our heroes this way because you know that's kind of how they were thought of at the time. Like we're gonna like why? Like to what point? Um, so it has that, but like it doesn't spend too much time on that because then it devolves into like a not devolves, but like then it turns into like a regular kind of action thriller kind of a movie. But uh, I just like the simple concept of just guy walks into the town and then these people just, just won't stop fucking with him. And then it turns out that if pushed too hard, you push, you push, killing's as easy as breathing. Uh, like if you just push this guy a little too far, then he just turns like he's got this like thing inside him that just like turns on and gonna, yeah. turns into a fucking psychopath. Uh, but like, honestly, everybody in this movie is like the police chief is a psychopath. Rambo's a psychopath. Fucking everyone is crazy. In this movie. Um, but it's got, you know, it's, it's uh, that, that scene in the forest when like, he's basically like setting up traps for the, um, police department. Like, it's just so inventive and cool. That scene in the cave is like one of the more like interesting, like, um, like visually the way that they shot it, like how dark it is. And like, he turns on his lighter and shit. Like, I like that scene a lot. Um, I mean, it's first blood. Uh, it's easy to dismiss Rambo because of the sequels that came af- out after it. But first blood is like, you know, I don't have to really explain to you 
what first blood is but like it's definitely like the more honest kind of movie like a real move quote-unquote real movie before we just went into the muscles in the m60 machine gun and, and shooting shit for the fun of it yeah it became a vehicle um for the sort of 1980s blockbuster getting as it were yeah yeah like they were just looking for properties where they could let like well we used to invest in directors and then we got and we got fucking, burned yeah we got burned over and over and over again we got howard the duck and yeah <laughs> we got in 1941 and that musical france for coppola made and One heaven's gate yeah. so they were like okay that's over so now we got to find a way to start getting people in the seats this was it the yeah. sequels but yeah this mm-hmm. was like yeah this was like because like you know it's it's a it's a real thing like like those vietnam vets man like, yeah like i shit. mean they treat it like shit and I mean, they still are treated like shit. But uh, some some vets, I mean, you hear all the time about like Iraq and Afghanistan vets are like treated like shit. So yeah, they're on the street. Yeah, Almost. it's 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 awful. But like uh, this again, the, like this movie has that edge of like uh, he's also got like the like the in, insane PTSD of like being uh, kept in a POW camp or whatever and tortured yeah. by you know fucking Pol Pot's people or whatever. And uh, so like <laughs> that kind of pent up uh, insanity comes out of this guy. And yeah, I th- think- isn't there? There's like a scene where they they tie him up and then he like has a quick flashback. There's a couple of scenes really like that, well yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Ah! And he, then he just kicks his way out. He's like, "Get yeah. me the fuck out of here!" Yeah, and it's yeah. again, it's before the sequels came in and before Rocky really took off with like all of the their like stupid sequels. It's yeah. back when Stallone like tried to act. And, like, there's that the scene at the end of the movie. I I don't know if it's because I've seen it so many times. Like, I have so much attachment to this like the the machismo of Stallone and this stuff. Like the stuff that I grew up with was stuff like Rambo. But like the scene at the end of the movie where um. Uh, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, Richard Crenna comes in and he's like, it's over Rambo. And he's like, nothing is over nothing. And he has like that breakdown in the, uh, in the store. And he's like, starts crying and shit. He's talking about like his buddies and like, he's just weeping about like how, like yeah. he saw his friends going through like the minefields and getting blown in half and shit like that stuff still affects me. I don't know. Again, I don't know if it's just because I have an attachment to these movies, but um I just think it's a, it's a really well made movie, and that scene, it, it, we we go through the the forest, and then we go like uh, through some like the caves and whatever, and then ultimately we end up with a shootout in a small town. And I love shootouts in small towns. I love shitty westerns, and this is you know it's uh, it's got everything. I think First Blood is it. Like it, I don't need yeah. the Rambo sequels, honestly. Yeah, it's it's really in and of itself. It's it's a it's an excellent film, well acted, yeah. and it really has something to say thematically. It does. It does. Yeah. So I, 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 I love this movie. And again, I'm just I'm emotionally tied into what eventually became that 80s era of like the blockbuster machine. Like we'll we'll get a guy with a lot of muscles on it. But uh, it was it's interesting to see kind of the beginning of that, which is just like a humble. It's just like Rocky. It's like a humble, honest kind of movie that like has something to say about like, you know, Rocky's about the American dream. And this is more about like, I guess, the treatment of veterans. But uh yeah, I don't know. I, I just really like this movie. Cool. Okay, so my number 61 is Rear Window by Mr. Hitchcock. I've heard of it. Uh, this is a really good, this is a really like, you know, again, he's a fucking master. Um, there is so much good, just pure visual storytelling in this film. Like the yeah. opening, I don't know, however, like five minutes or so where you, you totally understand Jimmy Stewart's character without them saying a word. Like mm-hmm. you see a fucking camera, you see a car and you see his leg. You're like, Oh yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hitchcock yeah. was so good at that. 
Yeah. And then there's just like, you know, just all the stuff that they do with the, the sets that they built of this apartment complex and like, you know, peering in and all the, you know, loves his voyeurism. Uh, Hitchcock loves the voyeurism. And so mm-hmm. we're just watching all these different people and every couple represents some kind of thing that they could become like the, the couple, uh, Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this is like, this is a, like, it's one of the absolute best Hitchcock films for sure. Absolutely. And it's like, it's, it's an absolute sort of testament to his form of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is super emblematic of all the things he tries to do. He's able to achieve almost all of them uh, in this film in terms of like what he, like if you could distill the Hitchcockian theory of filmmaking, it's rear window basically. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yeah. And so it's just, it's just really, really, really well done. Like there's, you know, <laughs> I could, I could, Add a lot more superlatives and you know descriptive adjectives. Right, but, right, right. You could do like a uh, you know a literary analysis of this, uh, but uh, it's you know the Freudian think, analysis. Oh, sure. Well, that too. <laughs> sure. Of the filmmaker or of the movie? <laughs> oh, both. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But um, I what I really like, and I mean, it's again Hitchcock is the kind of like the the well that a lot of uh, at least like in my kind of neck of the woods where I like to hang out with like you know psychological thrillers thrillers in general and like eventually what became you know just action movies i guess uh i love i love the idea of again a simple premise yeah. I, hitchcock did so many of these and he nourished like he nurtured them like so well where it's just like guy in a room witnesses a murder he's a paraplegic go <laughs> like what exactly. does he do yeah, it's like it's just like exactly. a couple all i really need is like two or three things like that and then you could kind of, you know, I, I mean, Hitchcock was the one who said the script, the script, the script, right? Like as long as it's like an interesting enough idea, you can kind of do whatever you want with it uh, or make it exciting. So, yeah, I don't I've I, obviously I fucking love Rear Window. So, yeah, it it's great. Um, yeah, I feel like this was one I watched uh, sort of in high school. Like I we did a class and we talked a lot about Hitchcock. Um, watched by, like, did they make you watch Vertigo in high school? I don't think so. I don't think I really I saw that until later. I feel like, yeah, like Vertigo is just like Vertigo could be the one like it's the best one he ever made. And then if you watch it at like 15, it might be turned off a Hitchcock forever. (laughs) You certainly I feel like you wouldn't totally connect with it. Yeah, Um, no, because I I, I, I'm because Vertigo is one of the ones for me where like I saw it a long time ago and I was like, cool, I guess. But then, like the more like you rewatch it at different points in your life and you're like, oh, that is a that's a good movie. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. That's that's one for me. Like. So I sort of like, there's some stuff that I've seen again, we'll talk about it later, like North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, those are like the ones that really like, I like like the big spectacle kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Rear window. Yeah. And I, you know, this one is like kind of, again, it's like sort of the, the, the distillation the of his version. Yeah. Of, of his film ideas. Mm-hmm. Vertigo is like, Vertigo is interesting. Cause it's like, it's, it's almost, like the most purely in his head you can get. Mm. Plus there's all the like beautiful visual stuff. Yeah. 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 And so I think that there's a lot of people that like to talk about that film because it's so, you know, you're really kind of getting to see in there more mm-hmm. than any other film mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the obsession and the, the blonde and the, yeah. the colors. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that's, that's like the Freudian, the Freud's favorite <laughs> Hitchcock yeah, movie is always definitely, <laughs> definitely, yeah, yeah. Like the 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 because like that's you know 
that's another thing too. Uh, the there there is a very strong. So if we're going to talk about Hitchcock, we can just talk about it a little bit before we end here. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's considered like basically the greatest filmmaker of all time, and a lot of the stuff that's written about when you talk about like Arthur theory, a lot of it has to do with him. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with people that were into psychoanalysis, and then they brought that over to film, and mm-hmm. so his stuff is very fertile ground for making those kind of associations. Mm-hmm. And so that makes sense that people would like him a lot because you're like, oh yeah, well look, here's this keep guy talking about him, yeah. They're, they're always blonde and there's always this kind of sexual tension, and, yeah. you know, and of course, whenever you talk about repressed sex, that's another Freudian hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he wants to fuck his mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so those are things that play into like why he's so well regarded, I think, because yeah. it's so clear. The thematic stuff is so clear. The technical stuff is so clear. Like he has this strong vision of how he tells stories. And there's all of this stuff. It's just like, it's always there, right? It's always there the way he tells the story, right? Yeah. It's always, yeah, yeah. Um, it's always there's a criminal thing, uh, but it's never, you know, it's never supernatural or whatever. It's always just like some guy, you know, just like mistaken identity or he killed someone, this guy mm-hmm. killed someone and you got to find mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Or I saw a guy fall off a thing, so it fucked me up. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get over that. <laughs> <laughs> Some guy tried to save me, and so then he fell off a cliff. I saw him die, and it fucked me yeah. up. So I gotta. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that that I'm still trying to get over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So a lot of that kind of plays into why he's so talked about and well regarded. Um, I think he's just like the the perfect fertile ground for all of these, especially at the time in the 50s and 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. where that's the type of people who were getting into film analysis. That was their work. yeah, and they just all attracted to him and plus the Truffauts as well you know sure the filmmakers yes. themselves appreciated him so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's out. right that's right yeah thank god yeah because um i and also his movies are like really accessible too like it's uh that's that's like a huge part of it like when he started like when he had his like 50s phase of just like the hits basically um I mean, the, his movies were always accessible, but like when he moved from England to Hollywood and he's just like, I'm just going to fucking blow the doors off of the place uh, <laughs> and just bring all these like, again, I, they're, they're just, I don't know. Like there was a lot of, a lot of movies from that era are just kind of like, just, you know, uh, Carrier Grant and Catherine Hepburn and a tiger go like <laughs> shit like that. So this yeah. is kind of like that, but like, you know, a little more cerebral. And I think people like were ready for that. Um yeah, I don't know. I I like I just like the simplicity of some of this stuff. I like the the thriller aspect of it. I, I love his entire theory of like you know, uh, you show the audience things that the characters don't know, and like you know, it's like an impending threat kind of a thing. Like that's the kind of stuff that I really get into. Not so much in as to like I don't like to really like dissect the personal the personalities of the directors as much. Um, but it's you know it's been done to death. But like the the work for me is usually what I what I tend to focus on. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Hitchcock's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty cool. Pretty cool dude. Pretty yeah, cool, dude. made some movies. All right, cool. Yeah, so I think that covers everything for this section of uh, our uh, long series. So yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think we, that'll be about got, it. Uh, we got ten more to go before we reach the halfway point. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll yeah, and then we'll get into the really really good stuff. <laughs> Not it's been, to say it's that. been great. Yeah. I, it's no, I, that was the whole day. Yeah, I was being facetious. No, it's uh, yeah. every, everything has just been amazing. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, any last parting thoughts before we say goodbye? Uh, no, I'm just, uh, look out for those, uh, timestamps, I guess. But, uh, other than that, 
uh, I think we're we're good to go on the just keep keep chugging along here by the end of 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, thanks a lot, everybody, and uh, you know we'll be back again with the next ten, and we're almost halfway done. Mm-hmm. So cool. Thanks a lot. Take care. Adios.